As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Day three. My name is Trevin, and a few days ago, the government put our little town on quarantine and locked out anyone coming in or going out. Now, I don't really like people anyway, so at first, the idea of being told to stay at home seemed like a very welcome option to me. They said it was some new strain of the flu or some other worse version of a common disease. I'm not really all that sure, because to be honest, I wasn't really paying attention when they told us. I don't ever watch the news. I did, however, realize that I hadn't heard any rumors or anything else involving the discovery or potential threat of some new disease. This makes the quarantine feel very odd and very sudden, now that I truly think about how this all came about. What further increases how odd this seems to be is the fact that today I decided I wanted to grab an energy drink or two from the gas station on the edge of town. As I got in my truck and drove the four blocks to the gas station, I noticed that I was literally the only vehicle on the road, I mean, in the whole town. Once I got to the gas station, I saw military vehicles blocking off the roads out of town. Let me be a little more, a little more specific here. There were, there were two Humvees with roof-mounted 50 caliber machine guns. No troops, just the vehicles. I park at a spot as close to the gas station door as I can. This was easy in a completely vacant parking lot. I get out, try to go inside, maybe I can ask the cashier if they know more about what's going on. Now, this thought suddenly faded as I walked inside the building to to complete silence, emptiness. I don't mean it was a strange void that I walked into as I opened the main door. What I mean is that, I mean, there was no music. There was no chattering. Absolutely no people anywhere. Not really sure of what to do. I finally decided to grab one of the drinks I came in for. I left a $5 bill on the counter, loudly announced to apparently nobody what I was doing. Then I left back out to my truck. Once I get back to my truck, I set the drinks on the passenger seat, turn the engine over, glance back over to the military vehicles sitting in their attempt to block the road, and that's when I noticed that just beyond the Humvees, there was a curious, dense fog blocking out my view of anything past maybe, maybe 10 feet from the vehicles. So from where I was sitting in the parking lot, I guess that there was maybe an eighth of a mile worth of visibility. So I decided to drive over to the roadblock. I mean, maybe I, I just couldn't see the soldiers sitting in their vehicles. I could ask them if they were able to give me any information about what was going on, maybe the severity of whatever disease they had told us was going on. I'm back out of my spot. I turn off towards the roadblock. And as I get closer, I notice that the fog was not moving back the closer I got to it. It remained in place like a wall. I pulled up. I stopped. Put my truck in park. Sitting only a few feet from the Humvees, I 
I hesitated before getting out to get a closer inspection of the situation. I didn't notice any soldiers asleep in the reclined seats like I had expected to see as I got closer. And slowly, I exited my truck and walked towards the two military trucks and towards the fog that oddly remained in place like some sort of some sort of swirling cloud wall. As I got within about, about an arm's reach of the fog, a little detail about it sparked my attention. The first was that it seemed to be emanating a sound, you know, something, something like, a, like a static or low sizzle. Another note was that it looked like it had some strange sort of purple tint. Not really a tint, more like a glow. Just a faint sort of bioluminescence. Lastly, I decided to reach out and place my hand into the fog. As I expected, it felt no different than a cool mist enveloping my hand as it moved past the edge and into the fog. What I didn't expect was that it also had a strange sort of weight to it. Almost like the mist felt heavy. One of the purple bioluminescent swirls floated over and across my hand, not feeling any different than the rest of the fog, but visually I watched it happen and it caused me to quickly recoil my hand, thinking, okay, now I have a crazy story to tell my wife once I get back to the house. I guess that now is a good time as any to explain a little bit more about my situation as this event started, right? I, I live in a small, and I mean small, town. Uh, the total population of our town is probably uh, 800 people. Uh, to be honest, I feel like they included pets in that count, just to make it sound bigger. And the size is maybe 10 blocks by 12 blocks. It's one of those towns you can hold your breath and make it all the way through town as you drive through. We have two gas stations next to each other in the edge of town. Uh, a video game arcade, a hardware store, uh, you can't walk into because it's owned by an old, an old hoarder. So if you need anything, you have to tell him what you need and let him search the building to find it and bring it back out to you to pay for it. Uh, cash only, as you can expect. Um, no grocery store or any other types of stores. Um, we, we managed to end up with a McDonald's in town near the gas station. Well, see, I live about a block away from our town circle in a two-story house with my wife, Grace, two dogs, two young daughters, an infant we named Izzy, and a two-year-old we named Addie. Uh, and don't worry about us with this quarantine business. We should be good to go. Uh, we got a freezer full of meat, lots of water, non-perishable foods sucked in the house. Um, not that you have an idea about how we entered into this whole ordeal. I'll get back to my story. I was still standing there, a mere few feet away from the fog, I looked back into our small little town and noticed that there was no fog at all. You know, none closer to the center of town than it. I jogged back to my truck I get in. I backed away from the roadblock and decided to drive the 10-ish blocks to the other side of town. And as I drive through town slowly, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a shadow flash past as I drive past an alley. Now, I stopped my truck suddenly and I rolled the window down to peer down the alley, trying to see if it, you know, what I may have seen. And after about a minute... Seeing no further movement, I rolled my window back up and continued towards the other side of town. Still moving through the town, looking both ways down each intersecting street, I remained the only vehicle moving in the whole town. And once I get to the far side of town, I came to the same scene as I had before on the other side of the road in and out of town. Two Humvees, sideways, to form a roadblock. No soldiers in sight. Purplish, grayish fog just, just past the roadblock. It was then that I noticed that there had been no sound, you know, almost completely silent, save for the sound of my truck, my breathing, sound of my own heartbeat nervously in my ears. 
the lack of background noise was strange enough in the gas station earlier, but as I got out of my truck at the second roadblock, I noticed that there were no sounds. No sounds of trucks or cars traveling on the nearby interstate. No birds, no dogs, lawnmowers, crickets, nothing. The lack of ambient noise anywhere in town unsettled me enough to make the decision to remain in the vehicle for the remainder of my expedition around town in search of answers. I decided to drive around the edge of town, curious about the fog, and as I drove my truck full circle around the town, I confirmed my fear. The wall of strange fog was surrounding our town, and the same military roadblock at every road out of town. I drove back home, I grabbed the drinks off my passenger seat, and went inside. As I walked in the house, my wife, who was currently playing Barbies with our toddler as our infant crawled around the room exploring different toys lying around, said, what took you so long? And just then, realizing that all my exploring of the situation in town had caused my short trip to the gas station for drinks uh, to take nearly an hour, um, said it, I replied, it's weird out there. Something's very much not normal in town. I continued, adding a look on my face to tell my wife that I had a story to tell her once we didn't have little ears listening. Catching my hint, she assured our toddlers that she would be back to play with Barbies with her in just a few minutes and followed me into the kitchen where I was able to tell her everything I saw that was going on while I had been out. She, she tried to pull out her phone and make calls to her family. Now this act taught us, very interestingly, facts about our current situation. Now this act taught us a very interesting fact about our current situation. Oddly enough, we had internet, but somehow limited, as if, as if there was some sort of strict parental control over our entire network. YouTube, Plex, Spotify, Google, they all seem to work just fine. But the phone, Facebook, text, kick, any kind of communication app, it did nothing more than endlessly load, wouldn't even open at all. No form of news seemed to be able to load either, so phones, tablets, computers? They'd been reduced to devices solely for entertainment. Together we decided to do our best to stay in the house as much as we could until we understood more of what was really happening. This decision being made, she went back to play with the children, and the dogs began to trail me around the kitchen as I began to prepare us something for dinner. That night, after eating and getting the girls in bed for the night, my wife and I sat on the couch with some movie playing on the TV that neither of us were paying attention to, while we talked about the things that we had noticed when we glanced out the window during the day, and wildly speculating as to what we thought was really going on. After a while, and once the movie that we weren't even paying attention to finally ended, we decided to go to bed. Day 4 I awoke to my two-year-old running in our bedroom, screaming at 6.30am, Daddy! Daddy! I want Cinnamon Crunch! Who needs an alarm set when you have little kids, I thought to myself as I sat up. Apparently it's time to get up. Okay. Okay, let's get you some cereal, I said to her as I got out of bed and began to follow my daughter downstairs while she rambled on about what she wanted to do today. I want to watch a movie. I want my tablet. Come sit with me on the couch. As we got to the top of the steps on our way down to the kitchen, our littlest let out a cry announcing that she was awake now too. I told my two-year-old that we would get to one thing at a time and that I'd meet her downstairs after I brought her little sister to my wife so she could nurse her. As I dropped off the youngest to my wife and head back out of the room to get breakfast ready for our little daughter, I hear her yell to me as I reach the top of the stairs again. Please make coffee and strong. I'm on it, I replied as I walked down the steps. As I reach the bottom of the steps, my jaw drops as I felt fear rise in the back of my throat 
I yell up to my wife to get downstairs as I see this. Soon I hear her moving upstairs, making her way with our daughter to the top of the steps and making her way down them. By the time she got to the bottom of the steps, I had moved over to the window to the far side of the room. What the fuck? She exclaimed as she hits the bottom of the stairs. Looking out the window, the fog that I had saw yesterday had crept into the town. It swirled outside the panes of glass. The violent hints of color had become more of a pearlescence, like, like looking into a puddle in the summer that had bits of oil or chemicals spilled into it, shimmering rainbows of color as the light reflected off of it. Our visibility out the window had been reduced to a few yards past the road. I could only make out the front door of the house across the street. I told you something weird was going on, I said to my wife. I told you it feels a little weird, kind of kind of heavy, but I don't think it's dangerous. Beyond the swirls of the odd fog outside, I saw... I saw nothing out of the ordinary. Again, today, however, I still, I still didn't see any cars drive down the road. No movement at all. So I walked into the kitchen and got breakfast ready and coffee started as my wife remained looking out the window, searching desperately to find any form of normalcy in the purple rainbow haze our house had been engulfed in as we slept last night. As I gathered the various parts and pieces needed to prepare cereal for my daughter, both dogs wandered in the kitchen sleepily and sat staring at me next to the door, clearly asking to be let outside to do their normal business. Cautiously, I hesitated to look out the window and the door, unsure if the dogs would be okay out in the backyard in the fog. Okay, make it quick. Shit's getting crazy outside, I said to Bodhi, as I pulled the door open and let them both run out in the backyard to relieve themselves. Now, our two dogs are both 70 pounds. One boy, Bodhi, a pit bull, French Mastiff mix, and one girl, May, whom is some sort of black mouth cur mix. As the dogs run out the door, Bodie stops at the top of the porch, steps cautious to get out into the fog, but relents and quickly does his business and runs back into the door to be let back in. May, on the other hand, May has no hesitation as usual and sprints out into the yard, takes her time, then finally returns. I hate to admit to using the dogs as guinea pigs to see if the fog was dangerous, but letting them outside was truly just that, a test to see if it was harmful, and thankfully it was not. Our dogs are fine. When I opened the door, I once again noticed that there was still no ambient sounds outside. So no, no birds chirping? No bugs? I decided that even though the fog seemed to be harmless, there was... Well, there was something very eerie going on. Something that made all the birds leave and everything remain quiet. Trevin, come here quick! I rushed into the room where my wife was standing, still looking out the window. Look! She said, as she pointed over across the street. I looked just in time to see a small orange glow fade off into the fog. What was that? I say as I step closer to the window next to her, trying to peer deeper into the fog to no avail. I don't know. It looked like some small animal, a, a raccoon maybe, but it was on fire. It was just it was just running down the street. We both stood in awe, trying to look further into the fog to see it again, possibly catch a better glimpse of what it was. As we stood there, peering into the purple mist, our two-year-old happily ate her cereal, humming along to what sounded like a Moana song playing in her head. And then we heard it. The first sound I had heard coming from outside since yesterday. It was quiet at first, coming from further away and heading towards our direction and getting louder. 
You hear that? What is it? My wife whispers to me as we both lean towards the glass to hopefully hear better. As the sound grew closer, it became more apparent that it was some excruciating animalistic screaming like the sound of a rabbit in pain mixed with a terrified scream of pain from a young girl. And as the sound got louder and closer, it was enough to make your skin crawl. I noticed that it was constant. Like it was being made with one long breath from something with with an infinite lung capacity. Just as I was about to vocalize my observation of the sound, my wife exclaimed, Holy shit, look! Holy dick, I hear Addie repeat behind us as my eyes focused on what my wife is talking about. Just coming into view as it ran down our street was that small raccoon-sized animal, still still on fire. Now, the animal was clearly not a raccoon, but it was, it was about that size. It had six legs and moved with an almost elegance. The head was somewhat large for its body. It shaped like an upside-down triangle. Protruding from its, from its face were mangled mandibles that looked like the mouth of the creature in those Predator movies. It had a tail that looked almost lizard-like. Scaly and thick. Had no fur, but, but it had tight, dark, almost, almost black skin and completely engulfed in what looked like a fireball. The thing ran up into our yard towards the house, got halfway to the house, and changed direction. The fire following it the entire time, yet the, the animal didn't seem to even notice. As it changed direction, it stopped for a split second, looked towards our window. Our eyes met, and in that split second, our eyes were locked. My brain exploded with visions, and my chest felt weighted down as if I had been kicked in the chest by an MMA fighter. Horrific visions of blood and viscera, torture and mutilation. Terrible pictures flashed in my mind, so, so many and so quickly that I, I, I could never describe each one, instantly causing my head to ache and nearly causing me to collapse to the ground as quickly as it had happened. It broke eye contact and skittered off back down the street. What happened? Grace said. As she saw my stance shudder with a sudden psychological attack that I had endured. I wasn't making the noise, I said. Ignoring the question my wife had just asked. Not knowing how to even explain what I had just experienced. To this she realized I was right and turned back to the window. Just as another orange glow began to appear from the fog. This time it was making the guttural screams that pierced our ears and almost hurt my heart to listen to. As it came into focus, it was a man. Tall, extremely thin, no hair, very unusual facial features. It, lo it looked like the skin was melting off his body, which was why it made so little sense, because he too was naked and completely engulfed in flames. As he ran past our house, Grace and I stood in silence, watching. The man, unlike the spider or raccoon, definitely seemed to notice the fireball he was surrounded by, and the scream-like sound never stopped as he ran past our house. It didn't stop for him to take a breath, didn't change pitch, but it was definitely coming from this man, and as we watched, it became clear he was now either chasing or hunting the other spider creature that had just run past. He, however, didn't run into our yard, but continued straight down the street in the direction of the other animal. As he began to get far enough away to fade from view and into the fog, Grace broke our stunned silence. Um, you, uh, what did just, 
How about we close the blinds for now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good idea. I agreed. As you both began to run around the house, closing all the blinds. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You spent most of that day leaving the blinds closed, pretending nothing was wrong, trying to keep the girls entertained. Only a few more times through the day to be hear the screaming of the other unnatural noises coming from outside. And a couple of times Addie questioned it, but we were able to keep her distracted by playing Barbies with her or having dance parties in the living room. After the girls went to bed that night, we sat quietly by the window. Blinds opened. Both staring out into the dark of the night, watching, waiting, listening. After about an hour, with nearly nothing said between us, I broke the silence. I'm almost afraid to go to bed after how much changed as we slept last night. I'm, um... I'm not sure I want to know what will be different when we wake up tomorrow, I admitted, as I stared into the night, the purple haze swirling just on the other side of the glass. We can make sure all the doors are locked and stay up all night looking out this window, but I'm not sure that's going to change whether or not things will change overnight, Grace replied, taking her turn to be the voice of reason. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let's go to bed, I said, getting up to check the doors. As I approached the front door to check the lock, I heard another distant, animalistic scream emerging from the fog, almost as if to remind us that, that this was far from over. We moved from our main floor to the upstairs, checking on the girls, and lied down, still both awake for the better part of an hour laying in silence, listening to anything coming from outside. Day 10. So, um, I'm the meteorologist, but, but does fog usually linger like this for days on end? 
It's been a full week since the fog rolled into the inner parts of our town and nearly a week and a half since our town was put on lockdown. If, I feel like yeah, that's way beyond time that someone should be coming up with some sort of plan to fix whatever, you know, whatever it is that's going on around here. So, so today I woke up, same as always, you know, with our daughter running in, exclaiming what she wanted for breakfast. Daddy, I want waffles. As I walk downstairs to throw some waffles in the toaster, I glance outside and I notice that now familiar shimmering purple fog outside. It's um, you know, almost completely unchanged over the past week. The past week has remained pretty much you know uneventful, other than the random screams and the flaming rodent spiders uh, randomly running past our house. Twice since the first time have we seen a person screaming as they. They chased one of the animals past our house. However, those two, they weren't they weren't engulfed in flames like the first one. The other day, Grace was looking out the window as one of those flaming spider things um, stopped and sat in our yard. As she gazed out at it, she suddenly screamed as they locked eyes and the rush of of um, horrific visions that kind of like flashed in her mind. She collapsed after a few seconds, breaking eye contact and Stopping the flood of images. And moments later, she described to me what she saw as the girls played in the other room. Dark red blood-stained walls surrounding um, insane medieval-style torture devices. You know, battered, beaten, virtually destroyed bodies of screaming victims strapped to devices being whipped, being tortured. Dark clouds surrounding distant, malevolent mountains made of dead and decimated bodies. The horrific scenes of people having heads and limbs brutally ripped from their bodies. Countless other the hellish factions of time all flashed past in just a few seconds. She then looked at me with a look on her face saying that she understood what was happening to me. You know, what had happened that first time when I made eye contact with the creatures. At that moment, we both realized that we needed to avoid looking at them whenever they came around to prevent that, that paralyzing mental assault from happening again. Day 15. Um, so today, uh, today was the first day that we saw what was, what was, uh, lurking out there in the fog. So it, it came midday. I was standing, I was staring out the window into the fog as Grace and the girls played quietly in the toy room. I noticed it first because our dogs in unison let out these quiet woofs. They both retreated upstairs, scared. Which in retrospect, you know, it seemed very odd behavior for them. So, at least for me, anyway. who was typically fearless, while Bodhi is more of a coward. Anyway, um... After I look back, I watch the dogs leave the room. I return my gaze to the fog out the window. Watching this. Pearlescent swirl, brilliant colors through the rest of the dismal gray we had grown so accustomed to over the past two weeks. As I watched out into the gray, a um, pale form took shape approaching the house. As it began to come more into view, I looked back, whispering to Grace. Grace, very quietly take the girls upstairs. Please be as silent as you can. There's, there's something outside coming up to the house. What is it? She replied as she picked Izzy up and began to herd Addie quietly up the steps. Um, I don't know. But it, it doesn't look good. Please, try to stay quiet. I'll, 
I'll be right behind you, I whispered, watching her and the girls disappear up the steps quietly. As I turned back around, the creature had made it halfway into the yard before it paused. I hid to the edge of the window, keeping my eyes on the creature, trying to learn as much as I could about this new being. It was covered in smooth, pale skin that pulled way too tight over its unusually placed muscles, almost humanoid, yet crouched and walking on all fours, thin, excessively long forearms attached to shorter, overly muscular shoulders and upper arms, hands confusingly narrow with six spindly digits sprouting from both ends, tipped with these long, dark, talon-like claws. Three of the fingers were longer and protruded from the front, three were shorter, protruding from the back, like that of a chameleon. The neck, it was long but thin, it was holding a nearly featureless, elongated head, the shape of a, of a perfect oval. It wasn't a mouth. There were three two-inch vertical slits, which I could only assume functioned as its nose. It had what looked like large, snow-white, lidless eyes, four horns, shot from the top of its skull with two larger, thick, dark, ridged horns and nearly an S-shape came from the very top. It's frighteningly sharp at the tips. The last two were further back on its skull, much thinner. They were made this, this slow arc away from its skull, starting from the base of its neck, traveling down along the sides of its spine. Thin or black, sharp spindles. Its chest again, overly muscular, it was attached to an impossibly thin waist. The legs jointed more like a dog, but again, muscular and bulky at the thighs attached to no longer thin lower legs and feet, nearly identical to its hands, the only difference being the talons on the feet. They looked, they looked slightly smaller, maybe. As I sat there watching the creature, I noticed that it moved very deliberate, yet jerky movements, methodical as if they were searching for something, hunting. Even with no mouth, I could hear it making clicking noises as it swept its head around. Just as I thought to turn around and retreat upstairs with the girls, the creature jerked its head to focus on something off in the distance. From its ribcage, four slits opened that looked like shark gills. It let out a guttural screech that stabbed pain in my ears and pierced my brain with horrendous torment, yet I, I couldn't move to cover them for fear that the creature would notice me. If I moved at the edge of the window, it surely would see me. Only a few seconds of that sound caused me to feel like I was going to pass out. And then the sound ceased. The creature expelled a purple-gray cloud from its gills, and then it and then it bounded off away from the house at an insane pace, disappearing into the fog. The second it was no longer in view, I held my hands to my ears and I winced in pain before I turned to run upstairs to tell Grace what had happened. That night we gathered everyone in the bedroom to sleep and, and we grabbed any and all forms of weapons we could find in the house. I mean, sadly, nothing I kept around the house would be all that effective. We had kitchen knives, we duct taped dowel rods, one baseball bat, a, a young adult bow, no arrows. The girls had no trouble as well as the dogs, but Grace and I, it was, it was a very sleepless night. 
We lied awake, whispering back and forth, trying to concoct a plan, knowing that we had very limited options, not being able to leave the town, not knowing how many of those, those, those creatures there are out, out there, or, or if any others that we haven't seen yet are, are out there. Our food supply is starting to dwindle. We probably have enough food for maybe a half a week. Then we'll need to venture out to the house to see what we can find. I, I wonder how others are doing in the town. Who we were friends with, at least talk to our neighbors more. Day 17. It's been two days since we first saw the creature. Oh, we've seen them wander past the house a time or two since, and um, hidden each time that we noticed them. We've had no new contact with our neighbors, and as our food continues to get low, we've decided that I'm going to cross our backyard and either talk to our neighbor or um, search their house for supplies. Um, after what seemed like hours, yet only being about a minute or two, I was staring out into the fog from the backyard, not just looking and waiting for movement, any noise, nothing came, signaling that it was safe, um, that is as safe as it could be for me to venture out into the fog. My journey wasn't going to be very far. Out the door, down the back porch steps, maybe 30 yards to our privacy fence, then another 20 yards, maybe to get to my neighbor's porch and back door. It was the best route that I could think of, you know, the one that had the most cover as well as the shortest distance. Holding a dowel rod in my hand with the biggest kitchen knife taped to the end as my only form of protection, I turned the knob. As quietly as I could, I started my trip for supplies. Crouching and moving swiftly, I made it to the fence, and as I began to climb the fence, all I could think was, I really wish I had installed a much sturdier fence. I dropped down to the other side clumsily with a thud, not quite the agile ninja I once was in my early twenties. Kids, busy schedules, general apathy had taken its toll on my body as I made my way into my early thirties. Crouched next to my neighbor's back door, whisper yelling, trying to avoid knocking for fear of making too much noise. Eric! Eric, you in there? No answer. Hey, if you don't answer me, I'm coming in. Eric, you home? Still no answer. Becoming very impatient with good reason, knowing those things were still lurking about, I slowly turned the knob. Locked. Shit. Shit. I exclaimed out of my breath. Not wanting to break any glass or try to kick the door in for fear of causing too much noise, suddenly I remembered that they had a door leading directly down into their basement so they could access the pool pump and filters. The only way I knew this was the fact that Grace and I had looked at the house when it was still on the market, along with quite a few other houses in town, before we found ours and finally made our decision. I crept down off the porch and quietly over to the basement door and tried the handle. The knob turned, and the door swung open and into the house success. Not sure why, but at that moment, instead of going into the house, I left the door cracked open and decided to check the garage first. I snuck over to the garage door, and I, to my surprise, the door was unlocked as well. 
I walked in to find a pretty typical garage, various lawn equipment all stored in specific spots to make sure enough room was left to park one of the two vehicles inside. I searched the benches and cabinets looking for anything that might be useful. I kind of expected to find a freezer full of extra food similar to what my dad has. There was nothing. But there was no freezer. Sadly, there also wasn't much useful I could find while I was in there. I did, however, find an adult compound bow and camo case. That's all well and good, but still useless unless I can find... Yes, I thought and exclaimed mid-thought as my eyes spotted a small bundle of about ten arrows sitting in a case over in the corner of the garage. I walked over and pulled one out. No tip. Shit, I said disappointed. I decided to grab them all anyway. Worst case, I could just sharpen the ends as they were. As I moved the case of arrows and slung it over my shoulder behind it, I saw a small metal box. I opened it. Oh, yes! The box had large razor blade broadheads for deer hunting in it. Now I had some form of projectile weapon to protect my family. I gathered my newfound treasures and I walked back out of my neighbor's garage, dropped the bag with arrows, heads, and the bow over the fence in our backyard. I crept back to the basement door and it let out a soft whine as I opened it and walked down the steps into the basement. As I got to the bottom of the steps, I heard an odd clicking, somewhat sporadic. I thought it may be the house itself creaking, still holding my makeshift spear in my backpack I was planning on using to haul whatever food I could find back to our house. Luckily, even though I couldn't find any freezer in the garage, I did find one in the basement. I walked over and pulled up the lid. It was about half full, but it was more than enough to get us past a few more weeks if needed as far as meat goes. I loaded a good amount of it into the backpack, and I left the rest thinking I could come back later if I needed. Power was still working perfectly as I saw no problem leaving the rest of the meat safely in the working freezer. I thought I should check the rest of the house for more non-perishables and possibly some evidence that my neighbors had been out of town during the beginning of all this. As I walked to the steps and up to the first floor, I noticed two very unsettling things. The first being an all-too-familiar scent of rotting meat. I really hope they just left burgers on the table and I let them go bad, I thought to myself, knowing deep down that there was no possible way that was truly the case. The other thing was I noticed that some of the fog seemed to be inside the house. It hadn't been so obvious being in the basement, but as I got to the steps of the first floor, it became more obvious. I climbed the steps cautiously and quietly, slowly moved around the house until I found the pantry. I filled the rest of my bag with as many useful cans of food as I could, the bag getting heavy. I was ready to leave when I heard it. Something moving upstairs. Shit. They must be home. Why didn't they answer me? I thought, setting my bag by the basement steps and moving to the front of the house, still with my knife on a stick. As I got to the living room, I realized something was very off. See, the big picture window in the living room had been smashed. Glass lay all over the hardwood floor, meaning that... that something had broken in instead of out. This is the reason all the fog had been able to pour into the house. As I made my way past the glass to the steps leading upstairs, 
The smell kept increasing, becoming more and more nauseating. I crept up the steps, my blade leading the way. Doorways on either side of the narrow hall met me as I reached the top of the steps. I moved slowly, as to be as silent as I could, as I made my way down the hall. First bedroom door. Empty. Typical child's bedroom. Room across the hall. Again empty. Home office. But they've been turned upside down. Destroyed. Further down the hall I moved. Third room. I froze. It was a bathroom. Laying on the floor. Lay Eric's wife. Looking like she'd been dead for days. Hovering above her was one of those... Those creatures. Doing what looked like sniffing at the body using the slits in the front of its face. And suddenly... Suddenly, its pure white eyes split vertically in the middle and separated as they were eyelids from some reptile, revealing holes in its face where before I had merely assumed that they were its eyes simply based on where, where they had been located on its head. From those holes came two praying mantis-like arms, rearing back towards its horns and plunging into the dead body lying beneath the creature. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It made its clicking noises again as it fed on the corpse. The protrusions from the front of its face must have been hollow because it looked like the creature was drinking her insides, using them like, like demonic flesh straws. I began to step away. Then I saw the creature open its gills on its ribs and release more of that purple fog into the air. Then the floorboards creaked. The creature ripped its flesh straws out of the corpse and turned its head to me. My eyes widened, and the only thoughts screaming through my skull were, Oh, shit. 
The creature let out its piercing screech, causing my ears to hurt, my bones to vibrate. It lunged at me, dark talons flying towards my face. I fell backwards, rising the makeshift spear up as I fell, and the creature's talons ripped into my shoulders, both front and back, as its weird hand clasped across my arm. The blades of my spear stabbed into the creature's chest, but it didn't plunge very deep before the tape tore and I was just left holding a dowel rod. Pinned to the ground by the creature, it moved its head closer to mine and struck at me with those needles coming from its eyes. They made a thud and splinters flew up as I just had enough movement to dodge and it made contact with the floor beneath my head. It clicked at me ominously as it reared up for another strike. The creature surprisingly wasn't very heavy, so I took the split second as it reached up to move my arm and throw it back away from me. As I threw it, it tried to strike again, hitting nothing but air as it flew back. The claws ripped away from my shoulder as it flew through the air. It landed back on its hands and feet and immediately jumped at me again. As it came at me, I lifted my legs, making contact with its chest. It came down on my foot, bending my legs almost as if adding pressure to a spring. Just before I went to kick it away, I reached up and grasped the handle of the knife, still half embedded in its chest. I kicked the beast away and off to the side, trying to aim it into a room, hoping to close the door behind it and run. As I kicked it away from me, my hand on the knife, it pulled free from the beast's chest. It almost made it through the door that I had tried for, but before it hit sideways and dropped to the floor, just on its side of the doorframe. I had just enough time to scramble to my feet as it did the same and immediately lunged at my face again. I ducked just in time, slamming the knife into its ribs, just about where its gills were. This time, I buried the knife all the way in and the creature shuddered and let out an excruciating screech, letting me know that I had heard it. I didn't leave the knife in this time. I backed away from it and I pulled the knife with me. After I truly heard it, it seemed to slow down its attacks, becoming more methodic. With my other hand, I grabbed the dowel rod up off the floor. Now having a knife and a club, I, I felt like I might be able to win this fight. My shoulder burned with pain from its talons having ripped through my flesh. I swung the club at it, and it backed up for a split second, lunging at me as I finished my swing. I stepped and pressed myself against the wall of the hallway and attempted to dodge, which worked for the most part, except I still caught a talon in my hip. I spun around and swung the knife blindly. Luckily, making contact and chopping off one of the face needles and half of the other all in one swing. This clearly did some major damage to it, because without those, it seemed to lose any form of coordination. It began stumbling and tripping over its own feet. Its attacks became very sorry attempts. This made it very easy for me to lunge in and drive that knife directly into the slits in his head. As the knife drove into the creature, it almost instantly went limp. <sighs> As it lie on the ground, finally lifeless, its skills opened again and released a large amount of that purple fog into the air. As I saw this, I quickly made my way back downstairs. I grabbed my bag, I, I went down to the basement, past the freezer, I went out the back door, I, I hurried, putting all caution about being quiet aside, tossing a bag over the fence as well as the dowel rod and knife, I... Moved a few feet down the fence before I climbed over. Because if I fell, I really didn't want to fall on the knife. I was already in enough pain to add to that to it. I grabbed all the bags. My shoulder and hip, they were hurting, especially with all the extra weight. I carried it all back to the door where Grace was waiting for me and opened the door as I got close. As I came through the door, I dropped the bags and I embraced my wife in a hug, letting her know that shit has been crazy. But I'd be okay. And then I love her very much. And then I collapsed on the kitchen floor, exhausted. Grace moved all the bags and she did her best to drag my passed out body into the bathroom. Stripped me down, 
laying me flat on the floor while I remained passed out. She cleaned, sterilized my wounds, grabbed first aid kits from around the house, a small sewing kit and with needle and thread and a limited knowledge of how to make medical stitches. She used her phone to play a few tutorial videos on YouTube, followed along and sewed me up as best she could. She then wrapped bandages and gauze over her work, made me comfortable, and let me sleep. I woke up in pain around midnight, forced myself to get up off the floor, looked in the mirror and the medical treatment I received. Took some ibuprofen, I made my way upstairs to the bed where my family was. I woke Grace as I walked in the room. I kissed her. I told her thank you. I laid down next to her. And I fell back into a deep sleep. Day 21 Gladly we've made it a few days without incident after my encounter with a creature, of which I still have no name for. We haven't seen any since, but we've heard them outside and notice they tend to become more vocal at night. I thought many times to myself since my supply run to the neighbor's house of what horrors I might have found in the last two rooms in the second floor hallway. I only made it halfway down the hall before running into and fighting the creature. What happened to Eric? Or the kids? These were questions that kept surfacing in my mind, but I wasn't sure I really wanted to know the answer to. Thanks to my expedition, we now had a bow and a set of arrows, as well as a healthier supply of food. This, however, was only a temporary solution in my mind. For one reason was that I knew I was pretty much shit with a bow, having very little practice with one. I also knew that we really couldn't stay here. I knew it. Grace knew it. We had to find a way to get out of this town, somewhere more secure. But how? My truck isn't strong enough to push Humvees out of the way, and there isn't enough room to go around them. I sat on the couch with Addie. She played on her tablet. The girls have been so well behaved during this whole ordeal so far. Now I'm thankful that even though they don't really know what's going on, they're listening well and being quiet and we need them to be for safety. The dogs, on the other hand, they've acted almost completely oblivious to what's going on except for a few moments when they barked. We needed them to be quiet. Thankfully, they haven't caused any huge problems and they quiet down rather quickly. Just as I was thinking that, I hear Grace whisper from the upstairs room, Trevin! Front door, bring me Addie. I shot up, grabbed Addie, carrying her to Grace as she moved the girls upstairs, and as I handed her Addie, I turned to the door. I saw what she was signaling me for. One of the creatures had made its way up on the porch and was pacing around. I moved to the kitchen and I grabbed the bow off the top of the fridge along with a handful of arrows, having the tips screwed on previously in preparation. I moved up to the front door and unlocked it and opened it while the creature was at the far end of the porch. I backed up about ten feet and took a knee, knocking an arrow and drawing back, aimed at the front door. One of the things I learned on my supply run was the creatures seemed to be blind, and they did their hunting through sound mostly and possibly smell. As long as I was quiet, I could at least get one solid shot off before it knew I was there. I sat in silence, bow drawn, waiting. 
The creature slowly walked to the doorway and stepped past the threshold. I clicked my tongue and the beast froze and focused his head directly at the sound and directly at me. At that split second, I released it and let fly the arrow. I had aimed for its nose slits but missed the mark, but did make contact. It hit the creature in the shoulder and buried itself halfway in. The creature let out a shriek as I knocked another arrow and drew back. Drawing the bow each time felt like fresh knives being stabbed into my wounded shoulder, firing a second time and hitting my mark this time, dropping the beast where it stood. As it hit the ground, it released plumes of purplish-gray fog into the air and upsettingly into our house. I got off my knee and fully sat down, just relaxing, letting my heart settle back down from the suspense. As I stared at the now-dead creature blocking my open front door, I heard movement on the steps, and very shortly after, the door to the steps slowly creaked open. Through the slit, I met eyes with my wife. And since she saw I was sitting calmly, she opened the door the rest of the way and stepped into the room. Dogs and girls were in Addie's room playing quietly. She answered my question before I even asked it. You're seeing that it was on my mind by the looks of my eyes. This being the first time Grace had an up-close look at one of the creatures, she walked up to it to inspect it. Is this just like the other fog lurker thing you fought over at Eric's? She asked as she knelt down to look at its unusual form. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, much more ready for this thing this time, I confirmed, as I began to stand up. We need to move that body out. Holy shit! Grace interrupted me as she grabbed one of the arrows protruding from the fog lurker and ripped it out as she runs back towards me. She covered half the distance between us before I saw one of the raccoon-sized flaming spider creatures run through the doorway towards us. I knelt to grab another arrow lying by my side on the ground as it jumped at me. Grace swung the arrow in her hand and connected with it, not doing much damage but hitting it hard enough to change its course mid-air so it wouldn't hit me. Grace took two steps back and grabbed the shaft of the arrow with both hands. It was essentially a sharp stick and she knew that, but it was better than being completely unarmed. I knocked the new arrow and turned to the beast, drawing the bow and sending ripping pain through my shoulder at the same time. Just as I turned, Grace met eyes with a spider and grabbed her head as the torrent of horrific images flashed through her mind. In the panic, I fired, missing the center of mass of the beast but pinning two of its legs to the floor immobilizing mobilizing it. It let out a guttural scream of pain and switched its gaze to me. I tried to look away but I was too slow and our eyes met, sending pictures of torture and gore through my mind like a mental tsunami crashing through an oceanfront city. As I became stunned, Grace was released from the creature's mental assault. She recovered quickly and lunged for the creature, burying the arrow still in her hands into its back. The creature broke eye contact with me as it let out another scream of anguish. Grace scrambled to her feet and backed away from the creature, and we both realized that what we thought were flames were nothing more than orange, bioluminescent hairs. They were nothing more than an illusion. A very convincing one, but nevertheless, still an illusion. I ran to the lurker in the doorway and ripped at the last arrow in his face, knocked it and painfully drew the bow back, took aim and fired. The screams of the spider creature suddenly stopped as the arrow pierced its neck, just below its skull, ripping through its throat and killing it. As it lied dead, Grace and I, breathing heavy, met eyes. Maybe I'm not as shit with a bow as I thought, I said, dropping the bow to the ground and walking over to Grace, who was clearly still tense from the battle. She wrapped her arm around me slowed her breathing and whispered. What the fuck is happening? I really wish I knew, I replied. We need to get these bodies outside and get the door closed so we don't let any more of that fog in, she said, as she let go of me and began pulling arrows out of the flame spider. 
So far, we hadn't noticed any actual problem with the fog other than the odd nature. It didn't seem to be dangerous in any way. That being said, I fully agreed with her. Didn't really feel like taking any chances with it. We got the lurker outside of the porch. My wife grabbed the spider by its legs and threw it out the door and into the front yard. It hit the ground with a thud a few feet from the lurker. We closed and locked the door. I grabbed the fan from the basement, aimed it out the windows to purge the house of the fog as best I could. Grace opened the door to the steps leading upstairs to find both dogs waiting on the other side. We promptly ran to and began sniffing the two spots the bodies had been lying on the carpet. Both my wife and I went upstairs to check on the girls. Izzy had fallen asleep on a pile of stuffed animals for an impromptu nap. Addie had covered her with one of her blankets, used the other to curl up next to her little sister and pass out as well. Fog lurker. I say to Grace as we close the door behind her and let the girls sleep. What? That's what you called it downstairs. Didn't have a name for them before. I, mean, I like it. It fits. I responded. She smiled. But it quickly faded as we hear the dogs let out one bark each, then come running upstairs past us and into the bedroom. Grace and I look at each other and then run downstairs. We saw the problem. Having our front door open as we fought the two creatures, let their screams of pain alert others. None of the lurkers were present, but we saw at least three of the flame spider things walking in circles around the outside of our house. Grace and I looked at each other. Without a word, we set out in different directions, making sure all the blinds were closed and all the windows. After about an hour of periodic checking, the creatures left. And after we confirmed that there was none of them left around the house, my nerves settled and I realized... I was really hungry, so I began to cook something for us all in the kitchen. Grace checked on the girls and then joined me in the kitchen to help get some food ready. We all ate, and we decided we had more than enough excitement for one day and gathered everyone upstairs for the night. We need to get out of here. I feel like they know that we're here now. Grace whispered to me as we sat, watching the girls play quietly to wind down for the day. I know. There was a lot of activity, a lot of noise today, but I think, I think I have a plan, I said. And I wondered if my plan was even possible, or even if I had all the parts available. Mommy, play Barbies with me, please, Addie said, as she raced over to Grace, Barbie in hand. Grace crawled over and played with her for a little while as I went to the bathroom to remove any bandages and see how much damage I had done to my stitches. We all gathered in our bedroom again, as always, that night, but instead of lying awake, as we had so many nights before. All of us slept hard, deep in a dreamless slumber, until we awoke the next morning. Day 22. After we got Addie and Izzy settled for breakfast, Grace asked me about what the details of my plan were. I realized that our conversation had gotten cut short last night due to Addie's request to play with Barbies. Knowing that we needed something to move the Humvees out of the way, we would have no way out of town. Also knowing that my truck would be unable to move them, I had remembered that just two blocks away was a farm equipment repair building that usually had some form of large, powerful farm equipment parked in front, one that would be able to move military trucks so that we could leave. Now, this was much longer of a journey than hopping the fence to get food from the neighbors. Also, I had no guarantee that there would even be any big tractors or equipment there. I mean, sometimes it's an empty parking lot. And if I made that journey just to be met with emptiness in the parking lot... I'd be screwed. And not to mention, 
if I'd be able to get that thing started, I mean, even if there was something there. There were so many unknown variables, yet it still seemed to be the only viable option. Why don't you take the truck and drive over there to see if anything is there? Grace asked, with considerable insight. Yeah, I thought about that. But I don't want to draw that much attention to myself before we're ready to go. You know, the, the truck is kind of loud, I replied. For this plan to work, I'm going to have to get over there. You know, start whatever I can, find a, a bulldozer, move the Humvees out of the way, all while you gather all the supplies you can and get the dogs and girls loaded into the van. Then meet me at the roadblock and get us out of here. That's a lot of steps. A lot that can go wrong, she said. Yeah, I know. But can you think of any better ideas? I replied, nearly begging for her to come up with a better idea. No. No, you're right. There aren't any better options. She relented. So when do we start prepping? Sadly, I think the sooner the better. Since we have clearly attracted attention to our house, I said, referring to the parade of creatures that we had around the house last night. Let's gather stuff up in the house tonight. We can... Try and get it to the van in the morning. Seems like, um, seems like I see them walking around the least around midday, so that's, that's when we'll plan to go. She nodded in agreement. The rest of the day went rather quickly. We packed together supplies, as if we would be living in the van for a week, loading food into boxes and coolers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Clothes and diapers. Dog food. Electronics. Cables. Everything we could need. We moved everything to the back door for preparations for our plan. With tensions high and nerves rattled in anticipation of how the plan would play out tomorrow. We went to bed. Day 23. We spent the morning letting the girls play in the toy room as Grace and I carefully and quietly loaded the van up with our prepackaged supplies. Working in silence as we both felt the tension from the impending trial that we were soon to be experiencing. The dogs watched inquisitively as we moved bags and boxes from the house to the van, 
I could tell that they began to get excited at the sight, thinking that they'd soon be going on for a car ride. And every time I came back to the house, Bodie began to wag his tail and alternate his glances from me to the leashes hanging on the door. Soon, Bodie, just relax, poopy face, I said to him as I patted him on the head, coming in from the last time. He trotted off and found a spot to lie down near the girls playing. May, on the other hand, continued to follow me around the house for the next 20 minutes, insisting that it was time to go for a ride. We ate lunch, and as we finished, Grace and I met eyes and silently agreed that it was time. She gave me a hug and a kiss. We told each other that we loved the other. I grabbed the bow, inspecting it to make sure it hadn't broken in any way, put all the arrows I could find into the bow-mounted quiver, and walked to the front door. Okay. Get the girls and the dogs ready. Stay in the house until you hear a big machine start up. And get them in the van and, and, um, meet me on the east side of town. The one closest to the interstate. I said as I turned the handle to walk out the door. Be careful, please. Grace said as I walked out the door. I will. Just make sure that you're ready to go. This is basically our one shot that we have at this. I said, looking into her eyes, and let her know how serious this situation was. And closed the door behind me. Taking a deep breath to calm my nerves as I crouched at the top of the steps of our front porch, a purple shimmer of fog swirled around me. Quietly, I moved down the steps and over to the huge oak tree in the corner of our yard, just to the side of the intersection. Crouched by the tree, I scanned my surroundings, this being the first time that I had been able to see any further into the trees since the fog rolled into town. Screeching came from the distance, but from the opposite direction than where I was traveling. Diagonal across the intersection from my position sits a house with a four-foot privacy fence in the back, and through their backyard was the shortest distance to my intended destination. The door to the house was destroyed and looked like it had been ripped from its hinges. The front window had been smashed in and, and um, well, nothing but silence came from the house. I ran directly for the backyard, aiming to jump over the far side of the fence's cover. Just as I reached the edge of the yard, I could see from the corner of my eye the orange glow of one of the spider creatures brightening as it traveled down the street in my direction. I hopped the fence and lay flat on the other side, peering through the slats, hoping that I hadn't been noticed. Close behind the spider was another. And then another. And another until there was a group of five of them crawling down the street. As I hit the ground on the other side of the fence... The creature skittered into the intersection and continued down past the road. When they got directly in front of me, I looked around and noticed that all of my focus on being quiet and watching the spiders travel toward me had caused me to ignore the fact that the neighbor's big black dog had been lying next to me. Mangled. Violently destroyed. It had been clearly killed and then sucked dry by one of the lurkers and left in a hollow pile of fur and flesh to rot in the yard. I grimaced at the sight, hating to see a dog torn to shreds like this. I waited almost a full minute after the creatures had skittered off before I moved. As I got to my feet, or more so a uh, crouched position, I decided after seeing the creature move in an almost patrol around the town that I should be more prepared. As this thought blazed through my mind, I snagged an arrow and knocked it. 
readying it to be drawn and fired if I ran into trouble. I moved to the far corner of the backyard and, quietly as I could, hopped the far side of the fence. I had two open backyards and a fence left to go and I would be at my destination. Very little cover between where I was and where I was going, but nevertheless, I had to get there. In the first backyard, there were two trees, both of which were way too young and small to be able to effectively hide behind. Attempting that would be the equivalent of a grizzly bear trying to hide behind a broomstick. As I sat in the corner of the fence looking out at the direction I needed to go, trying to calculate the path that would give me the most cover, I noticed there was a lurker moving slowly along the fence line. No way I'd be able to take a shot at this distance, with any form of accuracy at least, so I waited as it continued off away from me deeper into the fog. Just as I took my first step across the next yard, a single spider came skittering perpendicular to my path and stopped directly in front of me. Merely 15 yards from my face, the same direction the lurker had gone, and now, now that I think of it, the other spider creatures were traveling in the same direction as well. Are they being drawn to something over there? I thought to myself as I drew back the bow, taking aim at the spider. I wanted to be ready to let loose an arrow instantly if it began to turn in my direction. It sat perfectly motionless in front of me. Dutting impatient, I held my breath, fine-tuned my aim, and released. A perfect shot right in the center of mass of the creature. I quickly grabbed and knocked another arrow, not knowing if I had killed it. And without a scream or screech, the spider slowly wobbled and then fell limp on the ground. Staying low and fast, I moved across the first yard, stopping only to retrieve my arrow from the spider and moving quickly to the second yard, toward the fence. Halfway through the second yard, I heard from behind me a guttural scream, followed by another and another. It was another group of spiders. I had no idea if they were coming in my direction or simply calling out, but I didn't stop. I kept moving to the fence, four foot high and made an odd type of, of chain link that I did my best to hop over as quietly as I could. On the other side of the fence were a few fir trees, blocking my view to the farm equipment. I was almost there. I pressed through the branches of two of the trees, but stopped and looked back halfway through using the branches as cover. The group of spiders I heard a second ago were surrounding the one I had shot, inspecting it to some degree. I stepped backwards and turned around, burying myself deeper in the branches and covering myself further from view. When I came out the other side of the trees, I was met with the most beautiful sight I had seen in weeks. Before me sat a massive red tractor. It had treads like a bulldozer. It was one of those tractors that kind of hinges in the middle. You know, I, I've never driven one of those before, but now was no time to be picky. I quickly climbed up the steps to the cab and opened the refreshingly unlocked door. I mean, it would have been nice to see the keys sitting in the ignition, but of course, that'd be way too convenient. I ran back down the steps and made my way over to the building. It was a big white building with one massive garage door and, and one windowed main door. I moved to the main door, checking the handle. Locked. I said under my breath. No time. No choice. I'm gonna have to break the glass. I searched the ground to find a chunk of broken cement about the size of a grapefruit. I picked it up, and just before I threw it through the glass, the thought shot through my mind. Damn it, this is gonna be loud. Crash! The glass shattered as the cement disappeared into the darkness of the building behind the door. Seconds later, I heard a screech in the distance coming from a lurker. Shit. Hurry, 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 hurry. 
I think to myself as I reach in and unlock the door. I open it, flick on the light. Oh, this is a terrible idea. I have no idea where they would keep the keys in here. I think as I scramble around the building, looking through the drawers and cabinets. I hear another screech from the lurker, only this time it came from just outside the front door of the building. I look toward the door. I left it open, I whispered to myself. I kneel and draw the bow, aiming at the front door. Just as the lurker appears in the doorway, I notice a small white cabinet behind the door labeled Keys. Bingo. I think as I train my focus back to my aim and wait for the lurker to snap further into view. A few more of its demonic steps carry the beast into the doorway and closer to me, each step seeing the digits spread apart as it steps and pull back together as it lifts its foot for the next step. It gets within 15 feet of me before I click my tongue to cause it to direct its head directly at me, giving me the best possible angle for its nose slits. And after it jerks its head to me, it freezes for just a second. And it's in that second that I release. Snap! I miss. And the arrow strikes the steel wall behind the creature. The sound of the arrow hitting causes the lurker to spin around and lunge, hitting the wall directly where the arrow hits. The accuracy of this animal with no eyes, it, it amazes me. I quickly knock and draw another arrow, take aim, and just as it turns back to me, it leaps at me, and in a panic, I release. The arrow strikes the base of the creature's neck midair, and it rolls to the side as it lands with a thud on the floor where I was. Sputtering, trying to make noise, it slowly rose its head. It poured a bright purple fluid from the spot the arrow was sticking out of its neck. It stumbled around, clearly in extreme pain, yet still trying its best to be effective in a fight. I knocked and drew a third arrow. It stumbled towards me, trying for one last sorry attempt at an attack. It got within ten feet of me, and I put the final arrow right through its nose, dropping the creature instantly. I rush over to the body and pull the two out and place them back on the quiver. The first that hit the wall damaged the arrow, rendering it useless, so I left it. I ran to the box on the wall and ripped it open. Thankfully, there was only one machine in the lot, which meant there was only one set of keys in the box. I grabbed them in a rush and then paused and slowed myself down. I slowly peered out of the doorway, checking for any other beasts coming my way. The coast looked clear, so I, so I moved to the tractor and I ran up the ladder, settling myself in the cab. Once I left the house... Grace promptly began getting the girls ready. Izzy was placed in her car seat, and Addie was dressed in shoes on ready to go. The dogs had also been harnessed and leashed and ready to go as Grace stood by the front door, waiting for the signal. She began to worry as time grew longer and longer. Izzy sat in her car seat, playing with her feet, and Addie played quietly with her Barbies by the back door. May lie quietly at the back door, waiting to be let out, as Bodie paced back and forth from Grace at the front door to May at the back door with his leash dragging on the ground, following him as he walked. Just as Grace began to truly worry that something had been wrong. The sound of a big engine roaring to life came from the distance. Grace then grabbed the dog leashes, left the girls in the house, hit the button on the key fob to open the back hatch of the van, and rushed the dogs out to the van, putting them in the back and closing the latch. She ran back inside of the house, grabbed the car seat in Addie's hand, and led them outside of the van. As she got to the garage door, she hit the buttons on the key fob to open the side doors, and they did. She sent Addie to climb up into her seat, and she went to the other side to click Izzy's car seat into its base and close the door. When Grace made her way around to buckle Addie in, May barked as she saw one of the spider creatures emerge from the fog down the street. May crawled under Addie's legs and jumped out the door before Grace could get around to block her. May ran, barking at the creature. Grace yelled for her to come back. But she couldn't chase her, knowing that she still needed to buckle Addie in. 
May ignored Grace's calls and ran to the creature, leaping and biting it. The creature spun as it let out screams and met eyes with May. May cowered back, but unable to break eye contact with the spider. The spider leapt at May, landing on her back and, and sinking its mandibles into her back and disrupting her view from the creature's eyes. May, regaining the ability to move, yelped in pain as blood began to run down her back from the bite. She shook the creature off and turned in for her own attack. As she turned, she began locking eyes with a spider, and it froze her in place a second time. Grace watched in horror, with tears in her eyes as the spider held May in place and its mind-assaulting gaze. The lurker came running from May's side and tackled her. May yelped, cried in pain, but her cries were cut short as the lurker plunged its sharp fangs into the side, killing her and beginning to feed on her. The spider crept closer and began to eat her as well. Grace cried as, as, she, as she started the car. Mommy, May's crying. Addie said as Grace floored it out of the driveway towards the beasts. Grace began to yell in anguish as she picked up speed and hit both creatures. The van rumbled and bounced as she ran over the two beasts, killing and mangling both bodies. Through the tears in her eyes, she, she saw in the rearview mirror the bloodied, lifeless body of our beloved, our beloved family pet and two piles of broken bones, flesh and purple blood that made up what was left of the bodies of those two creatures that had murdered May. I got settled into the cab, inserted the keys, and twisted it, bringing the massive tractor to life. I pressed the throttle lever all the way up and shifted into the lowest gear to give myself the most torque. I pressed the gas and drove out of the lot and down the road towards the gas station and the roadblock that I was supposed to meet Grace at. Oh, I really hope everything's going to be okay on her end, I thought to myself as I drove down the road. The enormous amount of noise from the giant tractor attracted animals to my location, and as they ran out into the street in front of me, drawn to the sound, a smile grew on my face. The creatures that had tormented us for over three weeks now didn't even cause a bump as they disappeared beneath the treads of the tractor. When I reached the roadblock, I didn't even slow down, and the tractor made contact with the Humvees and pushed them out of the way with ease. Once they were out of the way, I pulled the tractor off to the side of the road and waited. My wait wasn't very long before I saw the van's headlights pierce the fog and Grace skidded to a halt alongside the tractor. I switched the tractor off, grabbed the bow, got out of the cab, and I rushed down the ladder quickly to get into the passenger side of the van. As soon as I got the door closed, Grace took off down the road. Daddy, May was crying. Eddie called from the back seat. No, she's not, sweetheart. She's... She's... Where's May? I responded, and Grace... Grace broke into tears and pulled the car to the side of the road and stopped. She ran off to attack one of those spider things while I was loading the girls, she said between sobs, and then proceeded to tell me what had happened. When she completed her story of the events that had transpired during her escape, I looked back into the van with tears in my eyes at my family that was now missing one of its members. Rage bubbled up inside me, a pure hatred for the situation, and even more so the creatures that had taken my dog from me. Grace told me that she was still a bit rattled and asked me to drive, so we switched places. 
and after a few deep breaths to calm myself from anger, I shifted into drive, pressed the pedal, and continued down the road onto the on-ramp of the interstate. The plan was to go to the nearest city and see how far this insanity reached. We sat driving for ten minutes on a barren interstate, pushing through the dense fog at a slow pace. I sat in a silent rage and a deep despair, flooded with emotion over the recent loss of our pet. And ever so softly, I felt something cold and wet touch the back of my elbow. I looked back to see that Bodhi had made his way to the front of the van and solemnly placed his head on the center console, resting his nose against my arm. He looked up at me with sadness in his eyes. And the action of this, this loving, huge-hearted animal caused both Grace and I to burst into tears. Half a mile further, there was an exit for the rest stop, one that I passed every morning and every night when I left our work and returned home later that evening. We pulled off the interstate and into a parking spot in the front of the building. Surprising, there were only three other cars and attendants in the lot. We still sat and we cried together. After a few minutes, I composed myself and I looked out the windshield towards the building. Izzy had already passed out from the rumble of the vehicle on the road, and Addie sat quietly watching a movie, minus the sound. What are you thinking? Are you thinking there might be something useful in there? Grace said to me, after noticing that I had been looking rather intently at the rest stop before us. Just, just being out of town makes me feel safer, but that has a vending machine has breakable glass, so we can grab a few things from that. I doubt there'd be anything more than cleaning supplies besides that in there, though, he responded. Since the fog hasn't shown any signs of lifting, I sort of feel like we should be fully prepared before we go all the way into the city. What does that mean? Do you think this is safe here? I don't know. I, I think we need to check it out. If it is able to be secured, possibly stay here for the night and venture into the city in the morning, I said. Patting Bodie on the head. Stay here with the girls. I'll go check it out. Leave the car running for now. I'm, I'm either going to come out and help you bring stuff in for the night, or I'll be running like a madman out here to drive away because it isn't safe. Grace nodded, with worry in her eyes, as I grabbed the bow and stepped out of the driver's seat. Softly shutting the door behind me, I could see Bodie standing up and putting his paws on the center console, raising his head for a better vantage point. He watched me intently as I stepped away from the vehicle. I heard Addie say from inside, Bodie, move! I can't see! Frustrated because Bodie's head was blocking the van's TV. I knocked an arrow, and Crouch walked my way up the path to the building. At first glance, I didn't notice any broken windows or really any sign that any of the creatures had invaded the structure. I pulled the handle of the door and it swung open, not even the sizzle of the fog penetrated within the rest of the stop and left the interior eerily silent. Once I entered, I noticed that absolutely nothing looked out of place. It looked almost freshly cleaned. I suddenly heard a clank come from the woman's restroom side. I spun around and drew the bow all in one motion. Pins and needles shot through my shoulder. I held position and focused for nearly 30 seconds before I saw what made that noise. It's gonna get so dirty in here, 
You're going to leave the demons here, and they'll make such a mess. The words rang out with almost a psychotic chuckle sound in the voice. Slowly from the bathroom came the sound of wheels on tile. I saw a yellow mop bucket emerge from the doorway first. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dark crimson fluid swirled with ancient purple fluid filled and spilled over the sides of the basin. The two liquids seemed to refuse to mix together. A wooden-handled mop rose from the bucket, broken into a point three-quarters of the way up. The pointed tip dripped with some... crimson liquid. A yellow-gloved hand spotted with various drips of both grasped the handle around halfway up. A tall, spindly man wearing a classic janitor's uniform that was tattered and torn. The man himself had various cuts and wounds all over him. More most corresponding with the rips in his clothes. As the man came fully into view, he cackled madly at me and cocked his head sideways, giving me the same look a, a terrier does when it's confused. He smiled excessively wide, revealing jagged and broken teeth. Blood dripped from his wounds, and it looked like he had taken some of the blood and used it to give himself some sort of demented clown makeup. You're going to leave the demons here. Then it will be your mess I have to clean up, he said. What happened to the people from the other cars outside? I asked. But I'm not sure why I did. I knew damn well that this person had clearly lost his grip on reality. Again, he cackled before answering. They would have brought the beast, the one that screams inside your mind. He took another step as he said this and cocked his head in the other direction. I keep the messes clean, so the master doesn't scream. I clean the messes, so the master doesn't scream. He got louder as he began to repeat his sentence. I clean the messes, so the ma- The arrow hit him right in the ribs, through his lung, and into his heart. I was done listening to his insane ramblings. Years of watching movies had taught me that nothing ever good comes from letting the crazy person ramble. I walked to him, 
and pulled my arrow back out, re-knocking it and readying it for my next needed shot. I searched the woman's restroom first, since that's where the man emerged. I checked each stall and found nothing, so I moved to the men's restroom. Again, I found nothing. As I moved to the back of the building to check for anything that may be hiding behind it, I learned what the man had done with the other passerbys. Laying in a line behind the building were seven people. Broken and murdered corpses. Three couples. One child. Six son of a bitch had murdered an entire family, plus two other couples, and, and placed them outside for the creatures to feed on. After seeing this, I set my bow down, and I went back to the man, grabbed him by the legs, dragged his body out back, and laid him next to the others. I ran back and moved the blood and viscera-filled mop bucket outside as well. As I came in, I locked the back door and moved a bench in front of it as a simple barricade. I did one final quick search of the building and then went out the front door and back into the van. I got in the driver's side of the van and turned the sound to Addie's movie up to muffle the conversation I was about to have with my wife. After I told her what had happened inside, I told her that it would be safer to sleep in there than it would be in here. Uncomfortably, Grace agreed, and we began to gather the girls and Bodie, and after we got everyone inside, I made one final trip to the van to get a couple of blankets and some makeshift pillows. I locked it, and I entered the rest stop. I locked and barricaded the door behind me. We settled on the floor of the center of the building. I shattered the glass on the vending machines, and... The rest of the day, we huddled together eating our fill of candy bars, chips, and soda. Grace and I talked about our plans for the next few days. Searched the other cars. Grab what we wanted from the vending machines. Load up the van. Make our way into the city. That was our plan. As we sat watching the girls slowly drift to sleep, Grace and I looked at each other. With worry with worried excitement in our eyes. This is so insane, Grace said. I don't even know what's happening. I almost feel like I'm running on autopilot. I know what you mean. My my nerves are so rattled. And all I could think is that I have to do anything, anything I need to to keep my family safe, I replied. But I need to be honest with you, I'm, I'm terrified of what insane situations might be in store. And of the things that may need to be done to keep everyone safe and alive. With that, Grace and I held each other, told each other how much we love the other. As we lie embracing around the girls, Bodhi concluded his patrol back and forth in the front and back windows. And he curled against us as we all tried to fall asleep. Day 24. Daddy, can you open this for me? I woke to Addie, holding a pack of powdered donuts in my face. One that she'd pulled from the vending machine. I hadn't even realized I'd fallen asleep last night, and I missed the slumber, having it now fleeted from me. Daddy, open this, please. Addie repeated. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure thing, sweetheart, I regularly responded, sitting up and taking the small package from my daughter's tiny hands. I tore the plastic open and handed it back to her. 
Thank you, Daddy, she said, as she sat back down next to Bodhi. She shoved an entire mini donut into her mouth and then gave the following one to Bodhi, who was all too happy to accept. Once Grace and the girls were settled eating vending machine breakfast, I, I walked to the back door, removed the barricade, unlocked the door, and prepped my bow before scanning the area. After about a minute of listening and looking out the glass, I opened the window, creeping over to the line of dead bodies that that crazed janitor had made. I set the bow down and started checking pockets for keys and weapons. I didn't really think there would be any weapons, because I, I figured the janitor would have already been dead if any of these people did have any. However, I did find all sets of keys to the other vehicles parked out front. There were two smaller cars and one big lifted truck. Sadly, none of them looked at first glance like they had much for supplies. These people got caught here and killed by the janitor before they knew what was going on. Either way, I still grabbed the keys and I planned to search each one. Returning inside, I noticed that Grace had already gotten everyone ready to move out to the van. You ready? I packed up some of the stuff from the machines in this backpack. Ready to get out of here. All the windows here make me nervous, she said, slinging the backpack over her shoulder. Yeah. I got the keys to all the cars up front. We'll get everyone in the van and I'll do a quick search out for the vehicles. Then we can, um... Then we can make like trees and get the fuck out of here, I said, walking to the front door and moving the barricade. I unlocked the door and held it open, looking out to the vans and surrounding area. Seeing no movement, I motioned for Grace and the girls to go. I grabbed Bodie's leash and a handful of blankets and followed them whole as they rushed to the van. As we got everyone and our supplies inside, I dropped the leash. Bodie watched as it hit the ground and then looked back up at me and takes a few steps closer to my side. Surprised that he didn't immediately run off like he would typically, I knew that he understood his job as a team member and protector during all this time. I walked around the back of the van and opened the hatch. Bodie promptly jumped inside and turned back to look at me as I closed it. Once everyone's secure, I make my way to the truck first, searching the bed before checking each set of keys till I found the right one to unlock the cab. Entering the truck, I do a quick search of the cab, and as I expected, beside the various country music CDs, there's nothing to use. Quickly, I step back, shut the door quietly, and rush over to the other two vehicles, the ones conveniently parked next to each other. The first I came up to looked just as empty as the truck I'd been in, but I thought to check it anyway. Inside the front of the car, there was little more than change in the center console and napkins in the glove box. In the back seat sat a children's tablet and a stuffed animal. I knew who this car belonged to at the side of those items. I checked the trunk and surprisingly found a gas can that was full. Oh yeah, right, something useful, I thought to myself as I set the can on the ground. Nothing else of use. From the last car, I found the most stuff. It looked like the couple had been in some sort of camping trip, and I acquired two sleeping bags, a box of Strike Anywhere matches, a few bags of chips, a can of beans, a hatchet, and a big multi-tool-type bowie knife. I also grabbed the marshmallows and chocolate that were there, even though it didn't seem as useful. Little treats are always a good thing. As I closed the door on the last car, I froze. A booming roar blasted through the air, deep and demonic. It sounded like a, a bass-boosted version of the roar from the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. I scooped up all my treasures and I ran to the van. Grace saw me coming and hit the button to open the back hatch. I threw everything haphazard into the back and hit the button to close it and then ran for the driver's side door. I cranked the door open and jumped inside. Another roar bellowed out. 
filling the sky with noise, and as I put the van in reverse and backed out of the spot, Bodhi stood on his front paws in the center console and growled out the windshield towards the building. I slammed the van into drive and peeled out into the on-ramp and back onto the interstate. What was that? Did you see it? Grace yelled out as our tires met pavement. No, no, I didn't see it. I, I have no idea what that was, but I'm really sure I don't want to find out, I replied as we sped away. Even though the interstate was still barren, I slowed down after about five minutes. I didn't want to wreck, kill us all, just because I was driving too fast and couldn't see through the fog. And after all, we'd survived so far. I'm glad I did. Just as we came within about a mile of the city, we began to see vehicles off to the side of the road. This is beginning to feel more and more like a bad idea, Grace said to me as we passed the fifth vehicle off on the side. This one had all the windows shattered. And the following one we found was crushed. I mean, it was it was truly crushed. It looked like it had a wrecking ball dropped on it. We stopped at the first stoplight, not because the light was red, but because we were met with more wrecked cars in the middle of the intersection. Stopping gave us a minute to contemplate an important decision that we needed to make. Do we drive around the pileup and deeper into the city, or... Do we turn around and head back in the other direction? Alright, I don't, I don't like this any more than you do. But we are going to need more secure shelter, at least something a little more substantial than this bow and the seven arrows we have left. I finally responded, motioning to the bow sitting next to her. We don't know how far this goes. We don't know what we'll run into later, and we sure as hell don't know what is making that war back at that rest stop. <sighs> I hate this. <sighs> You're right. I really don't like this, but it's something that we're going to need to do sooner or later. Right now, it seems pretty quiet. There's a gun shop just up the road. Then a few grocery stores near it. And at Dick's over there relatively close to that area, too. She says, shaking her fist in the air. Exactly. Alright. We can hit all those without having to go very deep into town. And once we do that, then we can make a plan for finding somewhere to settle down and... Let it be somewhere secure and safe, I said. Mommy, I want my cup. Eddie yells from the back. Grace reaches back and grabs out a sippy cup. Fills it with apple juice that she snagged from the vending machine. Bodie chuffs as Grace hands the cup back to Addie. I press the gas to move around the wreckage and down the road to our first stop. Day 24 We decided that our first stop should be the gun shop, thinking that what we could obtain from there might help us in many of our other destinations. Our journey to the gun shop was quiet except for the random mangled cars along the way. We also noticed that lots of the storefronts had been smashed in and looked ransacked. As we got closer to the shop, I saw a small group of three of the flaming spider creatures crawling into the window of one of the stores. Seeing this solidified, there were in fact creatures in the city. How many and which ones I still didn't know. I didn't really want to know. As we made it to the gun shop without incident, we sat in the parking lot. I noticed that the place looked like it had been untouched. 
meaning one of two worrying things. Either nobody else thought to raid it when the shit started going down, or someone was already barricaded inside, ready to shoot anything that moves. The first one being worrisome, because that meant that everything happened so fast in town that nearly everybody would be dead. The second being worrisome for obvious reasons. I looked to Bodhi before opening the door. He was laying down at Addie's feet, meaning that he didn't sense anything of immediate concern. I looked at Grace. I took a deep breath, shutting the door softly behind me as I crept up to the door. Placing my hand on the handle, I tried it. It wasn't even locked. Something seemed off. I stood off to the side and swung the door open, and just as I thought, a shot rang out, blowing a hole in the door. After a few seconds, I peeked in through the doorway. A string had been tied to the door, and a shotgun mounted on a chair as a booby trap. Hey! Is anyone in there? A whisper yelled into the building. No answer. I crept my way inside and soon realized that someone had set the trap and then left, leaving me in an empty building. It was amazing as I stepped inside the main room. I quickly grabbed more arrows, more hunting heads for them. I walked over to the guns and grabbed a 45 caliber pistol, and that's when I saw it. My first gun, a Desert Eagle 50 AE, beautiful 50 caliber handgun for pistol. I grabbed it, as much ammo as I could carry for both guns. And then I turned, and from the wall I grabbed the 12 gauge pump shotgun and a 308 scope rifle. I grabbed loads of ammo for those as well, and stuffed it all in my backpack and ran back to our van. As I stepped out the door, I was met with a horror as one of the spider creatures was on the hood of the car, and Grace and the girls were hiding with Bodhi. Frozen in the creature's paralyzing gaze. Trying to avoid bringing more of them, I dropped the bag and drew the bow. Slowly, I took aim and released the arrow. I pierced and killed the creature, but in turn, also happened to pin it to the windshield as the arrow traveled through the back of the creature just below its neck and into the windshield. To get the arrow back out, I had to have Grace unscrew the head of it and pull it back. As I pulled the arrow, the creature slid down the now broken windshield and onto the ground. I loaded everything into the back and got into the driver's seat. Finally, pulled away from the gun shop and we headed to one of the grocery stores. We passed more of the creatures skidding around various shops and stores along the way, but as we got closer to our destination, there seemed to be a very few. This was promising, but I kept in mind that it only took a moment for there to be hordes of them searching for their next meal. Grace and I sat in the van, looking through the broken glass of the windshield. I had a load more arrows now, and a second bow for Grace and various guns. Knowing that Grace would probably shy away from using the bow, we loaded the forty-five and left it in the glove box for her. I reloaded my bow-mounted quiver that held about eight arrows, knocked a ninth, and looked around the van and ended locking eyes with Grace. Without her speaking a word, she told me to be careful. The building didn't look very promising. It had most of its windows smashed in, a parking lot half full of abandoned cars, with the small building next to and attached to the grocery store had a giant hole in the front of it, 
almost like a semi had plowed into it. I cracked the door to the van to nothing but the sizzle of purple fog. However, as I exited and closed the door behind me, I began to hear screams and screeches in the distance. Timer set, I guess, I think to myself, and I began moving around the various vehicles into the store. I walked through one of the broken windows instead of the door. The glass crunches beneath my feet as I slowly walked inside. The building is mostly silent, save for some cracked and distorted music coming from the store's speakers. Shelves are tipped, leaving produce strewn all over the floor. The smell of rotten food drifts over me in the produce and meat sections. I drop my backpack off from my shoulder and begin to fill it with canned foods. Nothing super appealing, but it's nutrients and it will last, which is all we really need right now. I even found a few cans of Spam and all the salty goodness. I hear skittering from the back of the store between the crackles and the music, so I throw my backpack over my shoulder and quickly head back to the van. As I get closer to the van, I can faintly hear Bodhi barking inside. Shit. Shit. Something's wrong. I see under my breath and I pick up my pace. When I get within view of the van, I can see two of the flame spiders crawling on and circling it. I break into a dead sprint towards the van, but it's difficult with a backpack full of canned food. Stopping about 15 feet from the van, I draw my bow and I take aim. And just before I release... One of the spiders turns and locks eyes with me, sending its hellish flood of paralyzing torture through my mind and body. A screech rings out from the lurker, sounding more closer than before. Grace sees me frozen in an agonizing staring contest with one of the creatures, grabbing the gun from the glove box and jumping from the vehicle, leaving the door open. As she runs around the front of the van, she lifts the gun to shoot the spider and free me from its gaze. The other creature leaps onto Grace, scraping its legs down her back and sinking its mandibles into her thighs, before she swings the butt of the handle on her gun, knocking it away. She turns to aim at it and locks eyes, plunging herself into her own waking nightmare of visions. Another screech comes from the lurker as it's getting even closer to where we are, both of us rooted and frozen in time, unable to move from the horrific visions. Bodhi jumps from the center console and darts out the door, growling. He lunges at the creature near his grace and lands teeth sinking deep into the spider's neck. Shaking his head violently, his teeth rip through flesh of the beast and the motion breaks its neck. Even after it's ceased, Bodhi refuses to let the creature go. Grace, now free from her trance, ran closer to the other spider and once she comes within five feet, she raises the gun and point blank puts three shots into it just to make sure that it was dead. I snap out of its mental assault. And I quickly realize what is happening around me. Just as I release the tension on my bow, a third screeching explodes in the air, and I'm immediately struck to the ground from the side. As I look up, I have just barely enough time to dodge my head before the creature's facial flesh straws dive into mine. Causing the massive feeding needles to strike the floor with immense force, the creature rears back, attempting another strike. But just as it did, Grace took three more shots, causing the lurker to step back and shudder. One of the bullets luckily hit it directly in the ribs. As the creature stumbles around, Bodhi comes running past Grace and I and jumps at the lurker. He attempts to bite at it, but misses. The speed and force of Bodhi's impact into the lurker side knocks it to the ground as Bodhi backed away from the creature to regroup. Grace stepped forward and put a bullet into the front of the beast's head. Then she screamed out a mix of pain and anger as she emptied the last two bullets into it. Bodhi! Bodhi, come! Grace, get in the van. We, we gotta go now, I yelled. We all ran to the van and climbed in. Grace reloaded the gun as I sped off, getting us as far away from all of the noise we had just made as I could. We had one last stop to make before we could get out of there. Dick's Sporting Goods. Not a 
Typical first thought for gathering supplies, but I knew that they would have camping gear, which meant wilderness survival gear. Even though I didn't plan on needing to survive in the wilderness, per se, any of those kinds of items would be very, very helpful. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Day 24. As we pulled into the parking lot of Dick's Sporting Goods, my heart sank into my stomach with the sight of the condition of the building. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The colossal hole into the building stood where the front entrance had once been. One corner of the building had completely collapsed, leaving bricks and rubble littering the ground. The building looked like it had been hit by a missile. Through the gaping hole in the building, I could see faintly that a few of the racks and shelves still stood, and a few of the lights were flickering vigorously, but still on. 
I sat staring into the building when my wife, like the conscience in my own head, spoke the words that I was thinking. Do you think it's even worth it? Just as she said this, I saw a massive shadow move in the flicker of the lights, followed by a roar so loud that the van shook. Izzy began to cry and Addie yelled from the back seat, Mommy, I don't like that moo-moo! The behemoth crashed through another part of the front of the store, causing the rest of the standing building to collapse down behind it. The beast was... immense. Four hooves the size of Volkswagens, attached to muscular, smooth-skinned, giant redwood-sized legs. It stood nearly as tall as the building itself. Its skin was dark gray, almost black, and its back was covered in razor-sharp spines. Much larger, but very similar to those on the lurkers. It did look vaguely like a bull in body shape, which is why I assume that the two-year-old thought it was a cow. A thick and muscular neck held up the massive nightmare I would call its head. Spiked mandibles like those from the spiders surrounding a huge, gaping maw filled with rows of teeth, each the length of my leg and just as thick. Just above its mouth were four vertical slits, which again I assumed were the equivalent of nostrils. Enormous eyes that looked almost insectile stared at us in our vehicle. It had three long slits that ran the length of its neck. With each roar, would fill the air with purple fog. Huge horns, curled like a ram, sprouted from the side of its head, just above its eyes, gnarled and twisted and covered in a texture resembling the bark of a tree. The behemoth lowered its head just in front of our van and roared again, causing the very glass in the windows to shake and crack. Holy fuck! I yelled as I mashed the gas pedal to the floor, and with tires squealing, the van took off. Since the giant beast had been so close, we drove under its head and beneath its two front legs before turning and speeding off away from the building. With a grace I wouldn't expect from a creature so big, it turned... and gave chase. Grace and I panicked and began yelling back and forth at each other in terror. Fuck, it's chasing us, she started. I know, how fast is it? I don't know, just floor it. I am. I mean, is it gaining on us? I said as I began weaving around abandoned cars, trying to get to the road and back out of town. Yes, can you go any faster? What do we do? I have the pedal to the floor. The van can't just plow through all these cars. The giant creature followed closely behind us, trampling through cars as it ran. As it got closer, it lowered its head and rammed into the back of the van, crushing the back hatch and sending sparks flying as the back end made contact with the pavement. Mommy, I'm scared, Addie said through tears in the back. I know, Addie, it's going to be okay. Trevin, what do we do? A million scenarios flooded my mind, yet none of them seemed like they would be effective. Suddenly, I remembered the other guns we had from the gun shop. Given the size of the beast, I didn't think anything short of a nuke was going to kill it. Maybe I could cause it to slow down, or we could get away. Climb in the back, grab the two big guns and the ammo for them, I yelled, trying to sound as confident in my plan as I could. Load the shotgun, then we're going to have to switch places, and I'm going to try and shoot it out of the backside window. By this time, we had made it onto the main road, which meant fewer cars in the middle of the road, and we could pick up speed faster. The beast lowered its head and nudged the back of the van again, crushing the hatch in a little further. Which one is the shotgun? Grace yelled at me, scrambling over the center console in the back of the van. The long one, the one that doesn't have a scope on it. I responded as I watched the needle in the speedometer climb now that we were on a sort of straightway. 
Got it. How do I load it? Uh, uh, no, never mind. Don't, no time. Just grab it and the ammo and trade me seats. Grace set the gun in the ammo boxes behind the center console and half hopped into the passenger seat as I set the cruise control. She grabbed the wheel and I wiggled my way out of the seat and into the back. Grace slid into the driver position, clicked the cruise control off, and floored the pedal. I grabbed the gun and a box of deer slugs. I quickly ripped the box open and shoved two into the loading tube. I unhooked Izzy's car seat and slid it into the passenger seat. Sliding the side door open, the Colossus let out another roar and began to lower its head. I braced myself between the door jam and the chair, pumped the shotgun to load a shell, and tried my best to take aim at the beast's eye from a bouncing and moving vehicle. I pulled the trigger as we hit a bump and my first shot missed, hitting the creature's horn. The impact from the slug caused the creature's head to jerk slightly in the direction of the impact, but didn't slow the beast. I pumped again and fired a second time. This shot made contact with the center of mass of the creature's head. I saw a small spurt of purplish blood as the bullet hit, and the beast slowed, but only for a second. I reached down and tore the box of double-aught buckshot cartridges open and loaded one, followed it with another slug. I pumped the shotgun, loading the slug first, and leaned out the open door again. My next shot missed the eye again, but hit just above the mouth, next to the slits in its face. I saw the purplish blood spray as the slug made contact. Again, the behemoth slowed, but only for a second. Although it only slowed for a second each time, it still gave us a second to slightly pull ahead. Shit! Grace yelled just before the van hit a big bump, and I saw a spider creature fly tumbling underneath the back of the van. The engine of the van was roaring as Grace was trying to keep the van going as fast as possible, yet keeping it on the road, and avoid various obstacles. I pumped the shotgun again, loaded the buckshot into the chamber. The beast roared just as I fired. The large balls of the double aught finally hit my target, and as they pierced the beast's eye... It lowered its head in what I assumed was pain. As its head came toward the ground while it continued to run after us, its horn caught the pavement and caused it to tumble over in a sort of clumsy somersault. As we sped away from the behemoth and towards the outskirts of town, it stood back up and let out one final roar after us as it watched us drive away. I gathered the shells and I put the gun and the shells back in the back of the van after closing the sliding door. I moved Izzy's car seat back to her base and kissed her forehead before turning and doing the same to Addie. Addie responded to my kiss by saying with tears in her eyes, I want to watch a movie. My nerves rattled. I just smiled at her and told her, Okay before climbing into the passenger seat. As we got on the interstate just outside of town, Grace slowed the vehicle down to a more manageable speed, given the limited visibility, and we looked at each other with shock in our eyes. Put a random movie in the player for Addie and Grace, and I sat in silence. Both of us visibly shaking from the tense situation that we had narrowly escaped. We need somewhere to sleep. From the looks of it. A new vehicle, Grace said, finally breaking the silence and gesturing to the crushed back hatch and damage to the windshield. Agreed. Place to stay first, then we'll worry about a new vehicle, I responded. Hey, you remember that old farmhouse? The one just off the interstate, you always one you always point to. What do you say we give that a shot? 
Seems far enough from town to be left alone, is what I'm guessing. Plus, it's kind of close to the interstate, so if we need to need to bug out quickly, the option's there. Okay. Should be up here on the right in a couple of miles. I always point to it, but I'm not quite sure how to actually get to it. I'm sure we can figure it out, but... I think that's going to be pretty safe, at least as far as our options go. I replied, looking out the side window into the fog. As we got further out of town, the fog was still there, but seemed to be much less dense. And it made me realize that it was all coming from the creatures. Maybe it was some form of terraforming, but... But it didn't seem like it actually changed much. The fog didn't seem to have any effect on any of the plants. I didn't notice any effect in my breathing as I walked through it. These thoughts just brought me to one umbrella question. What is its purpose? What? What is what's purpose? Grace said as she glanced over at me. Huh? Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I had said that out loud. I, I was... I was thinking about the fog. What purpose it may serve to these creatures? I responded. The bigger bees seem to release it in the air, but I can't figure out why or what it does for them. If anything, I guess. Oh. Okay. She said as she turned off the interstate at the off-ramp into the vicinity of the farmhouse. We're going to need to try and test a few back roads until we figure out which one leads to the house. I nodded. We tried a few roads and had to backtrack a few times, being able to see the farmhouse in the distance, but not being able to drive up to it. We finally found the right road and made our way to the driveway of the house. We both sat in the car, staring out the window, moving our eyes from the house to the nearby barn, then to the machine shed and back. I finally took the time to load the Desert Eagle without a word. Grace took the other gun both got out of the van. We left it running and both crept up to the farmhouse. Grace stood by the door as I entered first. Once I got into the room, she followed. After a final vision sweep of the yard, we both took different floors, and we searched. I took the second floor, Grace took the ground level, and the attached two-door garage. Woohoo! Grace called out, and I ran downstairs to see what had happened. I found Grace standing in the doorway to the garage. One vehicle was missing from it, but... The one that remained was a big GMC Denali SUV. I couldn't find anyone upstairs, I said, as we both looked at the vehicle. Me either, Grace replied. Well, looks like we got lucky. Fixed both our problems with one stop, I said, motioning to the vehicle. Yeah, thank God. It's been a really long and crazy day. Go grab the girls and Bodie. Let's get settled in for the night. I'm tired. Good idea, I responded, as we both turned and made our way back out to the van. We collected the kids and the dog, and we went inside. The cupboards still had plenty of food in them, and nothing really seemed out of place. This made me wonder if someone would be coming back to the house. However, as the day concluded and the darkness of night grew near, nobody came. We made a trip or two back out to the van to grab random amenities, and in the morning, I would search the barn and the machine shed, but tonight, tonight we'd make use of the kitchen to cook and eat a decent meal. Then we all gathered in the master bedroom on the second floor, 
cuddled together in one big pile. And with guns loaded next to the bed, we all fell asleep. Day 26. It's been two days now in this farmhouse. We woke up yesterday morning, we realized we had no actual plan for what to do or where to go next. I was sure nobody was coming back to the house because yesterday when I went searching the machine shed in the barn, I, uh, I found the previous owner impaled on a pitchfork. It looked like he had fallen from a loft and landed on it. It seemed like he had, um, like he had been there for a while. I told Grace what I found, and while the girls played with a few toys we had brought with us in the house, she helped me pull the pitchfork from him, and we buried him this morning behind the barn. We yet to hear any screams or screeches since we arrived and claimed the house, so I think we may stay here for a few more days. It'd be nice to soak up the little moments of peace among all this insanity. Day 28. We saw another car. <laughs> Early in the morning, we were all in the house just trying our best to relax and pretend things were somewhat normal. And I heard Grace say it. Shh! You hear that? We sat in silence for a few seconds before I heard it. It was an engine. I ran to the window facing the interstate just in time to see a jeep moving very quickly down the road. At first, I ran to the garage, grabbing the keys to the SUV on the way. I burst through the door, hitting the button for the garage door on my way past and getting into the vehicle. As I started the truck up, I paused. It'll be long gone by the time I hit the interstate after him. I think then, shut it back off and I walked back inside. The sight of the Jeep going down the road didn't really help us in any way. However, it did let us know that there are other survivors, other people still out there dealing with all the same things that we were. As I walked back in, Grace stopped me and asked what I'd been planning. I responded, telling her that I was going to try and flag or chase them down. But I thought it through and I changed my mind once I got in the SUV. We let the girls play for a little while as Grace and I talked about the Jeep and what it means to us after talking about it for a few minutes. We came to two conclusions. The first was that the people in the Jeep were long gone by now anyway, and that after my encounter with the janitor at the rest stop, it may be safer to keep to ourselves. Mommy? Daddy? Will you watch a movie with me? Addie interrupted as she came running into the room. Grace and I looked at each other for a second, realizing that our conversation was basically over anyway. Before I answered, yeah, of course, monkey butt. Let me see if I can find a way to make that happen. I got up and I made a trip out to the van to gather some of the DVDs we left in it to keep Addie occupied on long drives while Grace looked through the house for a way to play them. She quickly and easily found out that there was a DVD player in the house's living room. But we sat and watched a movie with our daughter. We heard from the window a sound that we hadn't heard in a few days. And dreaded hearing. It was a deep, guttural screech from a lurker. Grace and I shot each other looks of panic as we got up and we ran around the house to make sure that it was secure. 
Once we had made sure the house was sealed up, we grabbed the guns and we kept them near as we finished watching Moana for the millionth time that Addie had watched it. Luckily, other than a few more screeches throughout the night, we were able to crowd into the master bedroom again and safely do our best to fall asleep. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Day 29. Daddy, look it! My eyes slowly drift open, noticing Addie pointing to the window of the second floor bedroom. Just as my eyes begin to focus... I noticed something strange crawling on the glass. What the fuck? I mumble under my breath, followed by a much more audible, Grace, wake up! Check that out. Grace rolled over and looked towards the window. We both sat in bed in bewilderment, staring at what looked like... some sort of gecko making its way across the window. Now where we live, there's no native wild lizards of any sort... It gets too cold in the winter, and they just can't survive around here except for maybe in a tank with a heat lamp at someone's pet. Now, where we live, there's no native lizards of any sort. It gets too cold in the winter. They just can't survive except for, you know, maybe in a tank with a heat lamp as someone's pet. This one, however, was no normal lizard. It looked alien. Six legs sprouted from the side of its body three on each side. The skin was translucent, revealing that its insides all had sort of a purple, swirling glow to them. It had four eyes, two on each side of its head, and short black splines ran in a line down its back. What is it with these creatures and the spines? I thought to myself, as I got up to go inspect it closer from the side of the glass. Other than its odd look, it seemed rather harmless. It behaved like any other normal lizard its size would didn't seem aggressive. It seemed like it, it was just on the prowl, looking for bugs to eat. I'll admit that the swirling purple glow of its insides were a bit mesmerizing, but my close inspection of the little alien lizard was suddenly cut short when I heard the faint rumble of another engine. I rushed over to the window facing the interstate again and looked out, maybe expecting to see the jeep drive by again, but it was 
This was different. This time, it was some sort of small SUV, too far away, and the fog blurred my vision just enough that I couldn't really tell what kind exactly it was. It was heading in the same direction as the Jeep, but different group heading the same place, maybe. I asked myself, in the confines of my own head. Hey, what do you say we go investigate off in that direction? Is the second car that we've seen going that way. Do you think they know something we don't? I said, looking at Grace while she handed Addie a small package of mini donuts for breakfast. Uh, I don't know. I think it's safe here for the time being. We have plenty of food to last us for a few more days, she replied. Yeah, okay. Sounds good enough to me, but eventually, we're going to need to find somewhere to resupply ourselves, you know. When we do... I think we should follow the direction of those other cars. I'm going to move the stuff from the van to the SUV, you know, so we don't have to later, I said, as I headed towards the outside door to the van. I walked outside, letting Bodie come with me so that he could do his morning business. I made multiple trips hauling all our goods and supplies and guns from the van to the house to the garage and into the SUV. On my final trip to grab the sleeping bags and the last of the food, I gathered it all in my arms and as I walked a few steps towards the house, I paused noticing that Bodie was staring off behind me and had lowered his head as he was growling at something. After a few seconds looking and listening, Trying to figure out what he was growling at. I started at the back door at a much more hurried pace, yelling, Bodie, come! Behind me. He obeyed and trotted behind me and through the door at the house. As I closed the door behind me, Bodie stayed at it and began to growl again. When I turned to look back out the door, I saw three of the spider creatures emerging from the field at the edge of the yard. They all skittered up to the van and began crawling all over it, doing what seemed like trying to find a way inside. One of them let out a scream, and Grace came into the back door and stood next to me. Shh, quiet boy, I said to Bodie. So we watched the creatures swarm the van. They began to strike at the windows, and eventually, they broke one. Crawled inside. Holy shit. They're looking for us, Grace said as she watched. Yeah. I think our little sanctuary here in this house has just been cut short. I said to her as I turned and made my way to the garage, putting the remainder of stuff from the van into our new vehicle. When I came back, Grace and Bodie had both quietly watched the spiders as they crawled all over the van, inside and out. Where are the girls? I asked. In the other room, Izzy's just crawling around, exploring, and Addie's playing with her tablet. I think we need to get in the... I began to say as a blood-curdling screech pierced the air and two lurkers jumped from the field into the yard and began looking around. Shit! I said, slowly realizing that our situation was getting worse by the second. How far is the next town? Grace said as a whisper. I'm not sure. Ten, fifteen miles, maybe? I whispered back. We need to get in the car and go before they start breaking into the house. Okay. Okay, let's hurry. Help me grab the girls and we all get loaded up, Grace said. We both quietly rushed into the other room and scooped up the girls. I moved the car seat over to the SUV, but didn't have them strapped in yet. We grabbed what we had brought into the house and what few things from the cupboards we could quickly grab. Each of us took our guns and rushed out to the garage with loaded arms. Grace kept the girls quiet as Bodie followed me around the SUV, watching me as I strapped the car seats in as fast as I could. Addie's seat was the first, and she began to climb her way into it as soon as I was done. Grace strapped her in while I got the base of the car seat strapped in, and we clicked Izzy into place. 
Bodie jumped in from the back and made his way up between the seats over all of our supplies. And just as I clicked the car seat into the base, we heard a window shatter coming from outside the garage. They made it into the house. Grace and I jumped into the vehicle, and just before I hit the button to the garage door, I stopped. Fuck. Fuck. Keys! I said, looking at Grace. I looked out the window and towards the door of the house and took a deep breath. Here we go. I thought as I grabbed my gun and opened the door to get out. Luckily, the keys were just on the counter in the next room. Unluckily, I didn't know how many creatures were in the house or where they were. I stood by the door, breathing heavily in anticipation. I took a big, deep breath. Then, just as I was about to swing the door wide open and blast my way into the room, I stopped. What are you thinking? How are you going to get yourself killed? I thought to myself, and instantly slowly creaked the door, peering through the slit so I had some idea of where the targets were. Good job, Trevin. Much smarter. My brain said to me. Through the crack, I saw as one of the lurkers had just walked out of the room. There were two of the spiders in the kitchen, and one just happened to be standing on the counter right next to the keys. I looked back at Grace through the windshield and smiled before I opened the door and lifted the gun. Now, there's a reason they call it a hand cannon. The first shot was a direct hit on the spider on the counter next to the keys. The creature essentially exploded into purple gooey mist and viscera as that 50 caliber bullet made contact. It also nearly broke my wrist as the gun kicked with such a force. Two hands, Trevin, two hands, I thought, as I raised my other hand to the handle of the gun. Quickly, I aimed at the other spider and careful to focus on my shot without making eye contact with the creature. Second shot, another direct hit, another cloud of exploded spider. I took three steps into the room and ducked past the doorway as the lurker lunged for me. I barely missed and collided with the wall before dropping to the ground and turning to me. Still with no clue on how these creatures navigate with no eyes, I spun behind me and raised the gun to the lurker as the lid on its face slid open and that big needle point posed to strike at me. I fired. Third shot. It was a miss. Kind of. It hit the creature's left horn and blew it off, sending jagged shards of horn into the air. I re-aimed from the recoil and fired again. Fourth shot. Almost perfect shot. Right in the middle of the beast's head, just as it began to leap at me, and the impact from the bullet decimated the creature's head and it popped like a balloon. Holy shit. I love this gun, I thought to myself as I sprinted for the keys. As I grabbed the keys, I turned around to head back towards the door in the garage. A scream came from the room next to me as the third spider skittered into the room. With keys in one hand, I would have to again shoot this thing one-handed. I quickly raised the gun and shot. Fifth shot. I missed most of the spider, but I did blow off the three legs on one side and took a good chunk out of its side. Purple blood spewed everywhere as the spider spun out back into the other room on the floor. Not sure where the other lurker was, I hurried towards the door. I only had two shots left in the gun, and we needed to get the hell out of there. As I pushed through the door to the garage, I felt talons dig into my back as I was knocked to the ground. I heard Grace scream from the car as I reached back and fired blindly over my shoulder, trying to hit the creature, and I, I missed the lurker, but caused it to jump off me. Just enough for me to roll over, just as it dove on top of me again. This time with talons digging into my chest, I aimed the gun up and fired my final bullet directly into the creature's chest. Its ribcage exploded, covering me in blood and bits of organs as what remained of the lurker slumped down on top of me. The strange purple blood stings as it falls onto my wounds. 
the recoil from the pistol at this odd angle. I, I was holding it, caused it to fly out of my hand and across the floor back near the door. I pushed the beast's body off of me and scrambled to my feet. I ran to pick up my gun and the keys that I had dropped while I was first struck. Covered in all sorts of things I, I didn't even want to mention, I climbed into the driver's seat and started the vehicle. I'll be fine, I said to Grace as the engine of the big SUV roared to life before she could even ask the question. It's not very deep. She nodded with a look of concern in her eyes. As she hit the button for the garage, tension rises as we sit and wait for the door to move fully up, and I could back out of the garage. And once it does, I put the vehicle in reverse and quickly floor it. When I stop to shift to drive, I see more creatures emerging from the field, and we notice the booming footsteps before the shadow of a behemoth forms over the field in the fog. Oh, relentless bastards, I say out loud, as I hit the gas and speed away from the soon-to-be-overrun farmhouse towards the interstate. As soon as the tires leave the driveway and onto the road, a loud roar cracks across the sky from the behemoth. After the few roads and turns it took us to get back to the interstate, we headed off towards the next small town. I hand Grace my gun and ask her to reload it while I drive. Who knows what we have to deal with next? And I want to be ready for it. Day 29 We sped down the interstate in the direction of the other cars that we'd seen pass towards the next small town. Grace had just finished reloading my gun as I drove with streaks of blood trickling down my shirt and onto the chair. I was still mostly covered in the spray of viscera from the lurker that I'd shot on top of me, but cleaning myself off was second in my mind, behind the need to put a decent amount of distance between us and the horde of creatures that had descended upon the farmhouse that we had taken shelter in. Look! I shouted, pointing to a sign on the side of the road. Grace looked at it and asked me what I thought it meant. My hope was that it meant there were other people held up somewhere in the form of a makeshift fortress, However, all the sign said was the word, Survivors, which left ample room for interpretation. We drove down the road for a few minutes, speculating on what the sign might have meant, and as we got closer to the next turn, the signs became more frequent. As they became more frequent, I started building suspicion towards them. The fog again became denser the closer we got to the town, which to me meant that there was a higher amount of larger creatures in that town. From what I can tell so far, the creatures are the ones producing the fog. And I thought that more fog would mean more creatures. This next town was slightly bigger than our town, but still small. As we pulled into it, I noticed that the road also had Humvees blocking it at one point, but but had since been moved and mostly stripped of parts, from what I can tell. As we slowly crept further into town, we followed the signs that had recently began to include arrows on them. I could tell we were getting closer to whatever the signs were leading us to because we were soon surrounded by abandoned vehicles on the side of the road, where it looked as though people had gotten out and walked the rest of the way. There were at least 50, if not 100 cars just left behind. We parked in the driveway of a house that looked like it had definitely seen better days and sat looking around in silence for a few moments. Something feels off about this, 
I finally broke the silence as I turned to Grace. Yeah, I'm not sure I like this either, she replied. But you need to clean that stuff off of you and we need to get you bandaged up. I nodded in agreement. We sat for a few more seconds in silence. Before I broke it again. I'm going to search the house real quick, rinse off in the sink, maybe steal some t-shirts or something eh, to make bandages out of. Then I want to inspect whatever's up ahead before we make contact. My focus was really on getting clean and bandaged up rather than making contact with whatever lay in wait just down the road. I hoped that it was something like a school building that had been fortified with lots of survivors and food and protection, but as we sat listening to the eerie sizzle of the fog, my mind started wandering to the possibilities of there being more nefarious intentions behind the signs. Grace opened the glove box and set her gun on the dash, letting me know that she realized her part was to wait and protect the kids. Bodie whined as I opened the door and began to get out. I looked back at the vehicle and tried to decide if I should take the bow to be as quiet as possible, but suffer the pain in my shoulder each time I drew it back. Or do I take the pistol and know that any time I had to use it, I would announce loudly exactly where I was. I decided to take the bow, at least for the first step of this plan. Bodie whined again as I turned to leave the vehicle, which caused me to turn back around to him. Do you want to come with me this time, puppy dog? I said to him. He chuffed in response. Okay, let's see how you do. Come on. I said as I motioned for him to follow. Grace looked at me with worry, knowing that he, he tends to run off, and I wasn't grabbing his leash. I looked back at her, confident that he seemed to have a new understanding of all these unusual circumstances. As I crept up to the house, he followed right by my side head turning, alert for anything that may be off. We walked into the house with ease because the door was already broken. I scanned and searched each room of the single-story ranch house before stopping in the kitchen to use the sink to wash off all the muck I was covered in. I removed my torn and tattered shirt and half-assed washed it before putting it back on wet. Bodie sat by the door, watching back and forth from me to out into the hall at the door. Once I was done washing off, I examined my wounds, and just as I expected, they weren't very deep and had already stopped bleeding. I went to the only real bedroom I had found in my earlier search of the house, and in the closet I grabbed a couple of shirts to tear into strips and use as makeshift bandages if needed. Bodie made a soft woof and ran out of the house to the vehicle. I followed him and found him waiting by the door to the SUV. Good boy, I said to him. This next part might get crazy, pup. I think you should stay and protect everyone in the car. He woofed, did a few quick wags of his tail, which I took as him agreeing, before opening the door to let him back in. You look better, Grace said, motioning to the now lack of blood and guts covering me. Yeah, I feel better too. I'm going to sneak up ahead and see what I can. I'll be back to get you in a few minutes, I said, in a weak attempt to reassure her. Or you'll be running back to jump in the car and get us the hell out of here. Same as before. I know the drill. I love you. Be careful, she said. I love you, Daddy. Eddie yelled from the back seat. I love you, too. I'll make it quick, I said. 
And with that, I shut the door and ducked behind all the cars as I snuck my way down the road. As I got to the end of the road, I saw an old stone church surrounded by ten-foot-tall fences. It looked like it had been erected using various parts of different fences from around town. There was a large gate in front of the road, and at the top of it was a large chunk of what looked like tin roofing with the word salvation crudely written on it, the paintbrush, and what I hoped was red paint. Fuck, there's no way this is going to go well, I muttered under my breath. I tried to stay as hidden as possible as I did a lap around the building searching for any alternative route in, or at least a better view. After I made a full lap around the building, I looked around and noticed a two-story house just across the street from the church. That's what I'm talking about. Vantage point. I made my way over to the house as I snuck inside. I began hearing a strange noise coming from the second floor. It was muffled, but almost sounded like people talking. I found the steps and drew the bow as I began the climb. I made it about halfway up the stairs and realized that it was a voice on a radio coming out to someone who wasn't answering. As I hit the top of the steps, I heard a scream from one of the spider creatures, followed by a shot ringing out and glass breaking. Shit, someone is firing wildly at one of the spiders up here, I thought to myself. I began back down the steps as I thought about finding a different house than I heard from the radio. What's going on out there? Creeper bug got Jim. Don't worry, I got it though. Okay, find someone to take his post. Preferably someone who's paying attention so they don't end up like Jim. Uh, okay. Who should I get? Do it. I don't give a damn, Theo. Grab one of the followers, tell them that this is what the master commands. Okay, I'll find one. I waited for a few minutes of the radio being silent before I released the tensions on my bow and crept the rest of the way upstairs. I found the room with a man, whose name was apparently Jim, lying dead on the floor along with one of the spider creatures in a broken window. His body was covered in blood with lots of chunks missing, which I assume were bites from the spider. I took the radio off Jim and quickly moved to the side of the window out of view. I really wish I'd brought the scoped rifle or at least some binoculars. From the edge of the window, I saw the gate open and a tall young man walk towards the house. This must be the sorry son of a bitch that was going to take Jim's post, I thought as he made his way towards the door. I quickly set the radio back down next to Jim in the middle of the room, slid over to the cover behind the door, and drew my bow. The radio started crackling out. Ben, you got your post yet? Clearly this new guard's name was Ben. The radio was silent for a few more seconds before repeating. Ben, have you made it upstairs to your post yet? Answer me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I could hear him coming up the steps and half jogged over to the room. He came in the room when he had gotten halfway to the radio. I called out to him, revealing that I was there. Hold it right there, Ben, I said, causing him to spin towards me. Listen, I don't want to hurt you. I just want to know what's going on inside the church. My family and I are looking for some refuge. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, well, he began stammering and stepped back. Well, we, uh, serve safety. He continued stumbling over words, still moving backwards step by step. As he stepped back, he rested his heel on the talk button of the radio setting on the floor. Let's go, Ben. What is it? Is it a commune? A safe haven? Survivor colony? A cult? Mass collection of apocalyptic cannibals? What the fuck is in the church, Ben? I shouted at him. He kept glancing at the doorway as he fumbled for words, so I moved over to block it, my bow still trained on him. It's uh, a survivor colony. He finally got out. Are you peaceful? Will we be safe here? I shot back at him. Well, you'll need to talk to... I heard a shot ring out. Followed by a second and a third coming from the direction I left Grace and the girls. My grip tightened on the bow and I sneered at Ben. What's going on, Ben? What was that? Spit it out! I yelled. I, uh... He began again. Just then, I took a blow to the back of the head, causing me to release my arrow. As I fell to the ground and everything around me faded to black, the last thing I saw was my arrow hitting Ben right at the base of the throat. He collapsed as well and began to very quickly cover the floor around him in a pool of blood as he bled out. Grace watched as I walked away from them to go look ahead at whatever was at the end of the road. First, they sat in silence as Grace alertly scanned all around the vehicle. Mommy, I want my tablet, Addie said from the back, after about 15 minutes of sitting quietly. What is taking him so long? He should be on his way back by now, Grace thought, as she handed the tablet back to Addie. Just as she thought this, Bodie began to growl as he stared out the windshield. Grace turned to see three men with guns looking through vehicles as they walked. Bodie barked at the men and they all turned their attention to the SUV. Grace quickly got out the gun and raised aim at the closest man. She began yelling, Who are you? What do you want? Uh, don't worry, ma'am. We're just out here looking for survivors, said the first man. Where's my husband? Grace demanded. Uh, we, we haven't seen anyone else, just you, said the third guy, the one Grace had the gun aimed at. The one furthest back was snickering and half-whispered to the first guy. Yeah, she'd be perfect. What? Grace realized that they never said why they were looking for survivors, just as Bodhi jumped out of the car and began running at the three men. The first, furthest back, took a shot at Bodhi but missed, and Bodhi changed directions, running off behind the houses. The shot taken at Bodhi caused Grace to panic, and she fired two shots into the man, one hitting him in the stomach and the other in the chest. As the man slumped to the ground, Grace took aim and fired at another of the men, but the gun had jammed. They descended on her, and with a blow to the back of the head, knocked her out. I awoke groggily and unable to move. As I looked around, my eyes widened with fear as I saw that Grace was tied to a chair next to me. 
I looked down and noticed that I was tied to a chair as well. We were up front of the church in the main chapel. The rows of pews before us were nearly filled with people. Some were alive. Some were not. There was a huge man standing between us, looking out over his flock of the confused, yelling out some sort of sermon that didn't make much sense. The man had long, bloodied robes that had both red and purple creature blood staining it. As fashioned to the robe were lots of the sharp black splines from the creatures, and he even had the head of one of the lurkers hollowed out and mounted to the top of his hood that he wore over his head. The mantis-style face needles had been pulled out, set in such a way that the man looked like he had antenna on his head. As he spoke, he gestured to us sitting there. As he gestured, I noticed his hands were rough, and long, and very bony. I have seen the master, the one who screams inside your mind, and he sleeps. He rests beneath the ground waiting for our sacrifice so he can pass us on to the other side where eternal bliss awaits. And now, my friends, with the discovery of these people, we will have that sacrifice, the old man yelled out to his disciples. And as he said this, the living ones cheered at his words. The smell inside the chapel was putrid. It had been decorated very intricately with various body parts and organs from the different creatures that now plagued the landscape. I nearly wretched the sight of how many of the followers stood and cheered next to decaying corpses that had been placed in the pews. Where are my children? Grace yelled as she regained consciousness. Oh, my little lamb, they are safe. They will be raised as our new generation of followers. He directed the first of his responses to Grace before turning and yelling out to his disciples. Servants of the master! Slaves to the beast's will! Again the crowd cheered. A screech suddenly pierced the air coming from outside. It was followed by a gunshot, then several more gunshots, and another screech, and soon a cacophony of screams and screeches. Gunshots began to ring out from all directions. The time has come, my flock. We must get these sacrifices to the beast, the robe man shouted. As he turned towards us, the ground began to rumble, and the air was filled with a roar from a behemoth. Holy shit. It followed us, I thought to myself. I struggled to break free as Grace did the same. Neither of us were having much luck. The cacophony of sounds caused me to wince as it began to hurt my ears. The robed cultist priest stepped closer to us and the other robed men came from our sides. They picked up the chairs we were strapped to and began to carry us off out into the back of the church. A second roar thundered across the sky, just before their behemoth trampled in through the front of the church, causing parts of the building to collapse. Spiders and lurkers poured in behind it, and the armed guards were picking them off very quickly, but not quickly enough. The men carrying us panicked and dropped us. I hit the ground hard, sending pain through my body. As Grace hit the ground, the chair broke, giving her movement in her right arm, and still with the splintered pieces of chair strapped to her arm, she quickly tried to untie her other arm and free her feet. We praise you, mighty beast. 
We have sacrifices to your master! The priest yelled to the behemoth as it stepped closer. More and more of the building collapsed with every step the colossal creature made. I watched Grace as she finally got her legs untied. Good, now me, I yelled to her. Where are my babies? Grace yelled just before slamming her wrist into the shoulder of the priest. The jagged and splintered chunk of the chair arm that she still had strapped to her arm pierced his shoulder, disappearing for a second and came back out covered in blood. Rage filled her eyes, and just as she was about to strike again, the behemoth roared and she staggered back. Deafening at that short of a distance, the ground shook with the roar. The priest slowly turned and laughed loudly. Just before he spoke, the behemoth chomped down on him. You're moving the entire top half of his body. His legs swayed for a moment before falling over. Grace suddenly snapped out of her rage and scrambled to untie me. We both got up and ran for the nearest door in the back. As we blasted through it, I looked down the hallway we had just burst into. Mommy! I heard Addie yell through tears. I saw someone dragging her by the hand and carrying a car seat with the other. And just then, another roar erupted through the air from the monolithic beast, and the ground shook with its immense volume. Grace and I sprinted down the hall after our children as part of the building began falling around us. We pushed into the room, and running at full tilt, the emaciated woman turned around, and I jumped, planting both my feet into her chest. She dropped the car seat in Addie's hand, and the impact from my blow slammed her back into the brick wall behind her, and she slumped to the ground, the blow instantly knocking her out or killing her. I'm not sure which, and honestly didn't care. Grace grabbed Addie, and I scooped up the car seat with Izzy in it. We ran out of the room and towards what I hoped was the back door. Guns were still firing, meaning that they were either doing some damage or at least keeping the behemoth at bay. The screeches and screams of the other creatures had died down, so I was hoping that that meant most of them had been eliminated. And as we burst through the back door and into the open air, another roar emanated from inside the building. This roar, however, this roar started sounding weaker meaning that the guards were doing at least some damage. Close behind us, the massive beast crashed through the back of the building. As we ran away and back down the road, I heard the 50 cal, the machine guns that had been removed from the Humvees at the edge of town. They sprayed bullets at the giant for a few seconds before I saw a lurker take one of them. As we ran, a spider came around the corner and jumped at Grace, hitting her in the back and knocking her to the ground. Izzy's car seat bounced and skidded on the ground. I spun around as Grace yelled out. Setting Addie down, I ran to Grace and I grabbed the spider by the legs and whipped it towards the air at the behemoth. Izzy was crying and scared, but completely unhurt, at least. As Grace got back up and grabbed the car seat and began to run again, I scooped up Addie, who was crouched by a wall where I sat her down, crying. As we ran, the behemoth sluggishly followed, dragging its steps more and more each time. It let out another gargled roar, and lots of purple blood spewed from its throat. We got to the SUV, and as we loaded the girls inside, we noticed that Bodhi had returned to it. He was hiding in the back. I ran to the back of the SUV, and I grabbed the rifle and a handful of rounds, and I loaded a few rounds, and I crouched near the back of the vehicle and aimed for the eyes of that beast. The rounds of the remaining 50 cal still hitting the beast in the back, and just before I fired... The beast got to roar again, and instead let out a gargle as it spews forth more of its own purple blood and collapsed to the ground in front of me. I retained my aim off further in the distance as the 50 cal bullets still fly in the direction of the beast, meaning that guy who was firing it was just blind firing in the direction that that massive creature had walked off in. I couldn't see him through the now very dense fog. The purple and gray haze had become much thicker as more of the creatures released plumes of it as they died. 
And just then, the machine gun stopped as I heard a man screaming from the distance. Something must have gotten him, I thought. And just as that thought entered my head, the behemoth flared the slits in its neck and released a massive amount of fog into the air. Still not completely sure if the fog had any true effect on us. Battered and beaten from nearly a month of all this running and fighting, I turned and I got back into the vehicle and I sped off out of town as fast as I could. Creatures still flocking to the town towards the church. We rammed and ran over lots of them as I floated out of town, and when we hit the interstate again, the fog seemed to lighten the further we got from that large gathering of creatures. I really had wished that I still had the pistol, at least one of them. Both mine and Grace's were taken from us by the cult, and we didn't get the chance to get them back before our escape. We did find the girls. Surprisingly enough, Bodie on our way out, and that's what truly matters. Girls calmed down almost as soon as we hit the interstate, and we, we sat driving in silence, broken only by the sound of tires on the road, still in shock from the insanity of the day. Without any sort of plan, I drove us west, trying to stay moving as much as possible, stopping only for gas. Day 35. It's been over a month since this all started, and almost a week since we've watched the colossal beast fall. The fog's almost completely lifted the further we drive west. I still don't know what started it all, and as most of the world around us is far from the way it used to be, things have calmed way down. I haven't seen any creatures in two days now. We stayed at random farmhouses along the way. We just stopped at one for the night. We load a few things into the house for the night. We've been on the lookout for the other true survivors, but haven't found any. This is the new life that we live now. It's lonely. It's hard. Spending every day feeling like you're on the run from something that's no longer around anymore. The days seem insanely long in this new existence. I almost wish the creatures were still around, just for a little conflict from day to day. That being said, we're all safe. It's been really nice not needing to deal with all the hassle. There's still so many things that I, I didn't know, I didn't understand. So many questions remaining about what had thrust into this new world. Questions like what had caused it all. All this in the first place. Where was everyone? And did killing the behemoth truly cause it all to end or did it just happen to coincide with something else? Something that happened around the world. I still never found out what the fog truly did. So many questions remain in my mind, but I guess... I guess like they say. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Right? Day 56. I woke up this morning again to Addie asking for breakfast. As I began to search the house for something to feed her... Food is getting more and more scarce in this now barren and lonely landscape. I glanced out the window. And fear rose in my throat and my hands began to tremble as I called out to Grace. Grace, grab Izzy and get down here quick! As I look out the window in the dim morning light, I could see dew covering the grass. And the day outside 
very quiet, except for a soft sizzle. There's a gray and purple fog starting to roll in. Hey there kids, it's me, Mr. Creepypasta, and I wanted to tell you thank you for watching tonight's video or listening to tonight's podcast. You can find Mr. Creepypasta Storytime on any kind of podcasting platform if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're listening to the podcast already, you can find Mr. Creepypasta on YouTube. <laughs> A huge thank you to all you guys who show support by subscribing to the channel or following the podcast and coming back episode by episode. I really appreciate that, and I really want to tell you all thank you for what you've done. If you always want to find more from me, you can on Instagram at Billy the Skeleton. That's me, Billy the Skeleton, all one word. That's the only Mr. Creepypasta account there. And on Twitter at Mr. Creepypasta, then the number zero. I'm also on Patreon. You can find a whole bunch of other people supporting on Patreon in the description down below. But there is a very, very special thank you to these people in particular. Jordan Alexander Sanchez, Creepypasta Adam, Ken Lando Higuchi, Mazakin, Champinsky, The Red Oak Shield Virus, G Weevil 3, Diana Krause, Stephen Van Huss, Chance Burton, Tristan Pelton, Nico Cow, The Ginger Bros, Last Blade Song, Eliminator 86, Steampunk Sinner, Caleb Dougal, Sky Harbor, The Homeless Bird 93, Bobby Carmen, Liam Newman, Aaron Stormcrow, Barbara Maceo, Thomas Burgett, Azazel Rotten, S-Man, Kirisuba, Bad Honey, Someone You Love, Said the King 56, Somber Puppet, Wolfie Numbs, Shadow Morningstar, Sean Mills, Jesse Gonzalez, Mad Marstomp, Z Kearley, Cassie Core, Mr. Thud, and Patrick Schoolmeister. These guys are the real MVPs, and all of you who are listening are also the real MVPs. Stay safe, everyone, and sweet dreams. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.